Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Laura Nalbandian about organizing astrology conferences and also how to give a good astrology lecture if you're an up-and-coming astrologer and you want some tips for how to do that the most effectively. So, hey, Laura, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Chris, for having me. I yeah. love doing this with you. It's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you were only one of my second guests to come out here since December when I had Kent buy out, and I'm starting to do more interviews in person. I'm actually very excited about it. So thanks for being the second person. Thank you. It's actually fitting because I also, um, your astrology conference, you gave me my first lecture ever at the Northwest Astrology Conference in like 2006, 2007. Yeah. So it's sort of fitting. It is. You know, Norwalk has uh, had a history of providing space for folks who otherwise would not have an opportunity to speak. They don't have a CV. They don't have a resume. They don't have they don't have the experience. And mom and I really felt that was something important. How are you going to ever get the experience if you don't get the experience? Right. Somebody doesn't give it to you, you know, create that space. Yeah. So Norwalk has always been good about having a mixture of, of some new speakers and some intermediate and some advanced, like established major astrologers at the same time. Yes. Okay. So we have a lot of, I mean, our goal is diversity. So that diversity is diversity of age, diversity of gender, diversity of topic, diversity of race. It, it's just all about diversity, mm-hmm. right? So it's not a one, we don't want to be a one note event, right? We're not looking to be about one particular style of astrology. We want to give people uh, uh, the opportunity to visit and explore different topics and meet the needs of the wide variety of astrologers and students out there. Right. So let's talk a little bit for those that are maybe like new or haven't seen you before. You've been on the podcast a few times in the past. We did the Neptune episode last summer, Mm -hmm. but what are your credentials when it comes to organizing astrology conferences? So mom, Maggie, Maggie Nalbandian, created Norwac in 1984. Which is the Northwest Astrology yeah, Conference. Northwest Astrological Conference. She started in 1984. And I worked mostly in the bookstore side of things and then registration. And it probably wasn't until the later 90s that I really started getting into more of the organizational process contracts with the hotel, uh, how to organize the conference itself, keep track of things, registration, uh, advertising, taking in advertising, doing the program. I mean, there was a myriad of things that I learned through just doing it in person, you know, hands-on, the experience uh, at versus, I, I don't know, maybe there's a uh, event coordinating school. Right. There probably is kind of a trade school for something like that, but all of mine was on the fly, real time, learning the experiences, learning the process. And then I was hired in 2008 to do a non-astrology conference. And I did a public health conference for 10 years for a nonprofit in Washington that really advanced my skills of um, doing the back-end coordination. And then I've done UWAC I did um, United Astrology Conference in 2002. Then I coordinated UAC 2018. 
I was the registrar for 2012 for um, UWAC, and I assisted in registration. I can't remember. There was 2008, and there was 2012. Okay, and <laughs> so you have a little bit of experience. You've done one or two. This is not your first rodeo? No, it's not my first rodeo, in other words. I've okay. been doing this a long time. Uh, I have developed a mind for organizational structure and organizational flow, um, my nap natural Capricorn ability, but I'm also not locked into this is the way we've always done it. We have to do it this way. Uh, so I love bringing new elements to the conference, shaking things up, doing something different. So that's not, I mean, it's 38 years. Right. Yeah. It's time to try one or two new things during mm -hmm. the course of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And even before that, your family ran a famous bookstore in Seattle, and there was also classes taught there. So you mm -hmm. also had background with that, as well as doing consultations and teaching on your mm -hmm. own. Yeah, so I started studying astrology in 83 and started full-on practicing in 88, 89. But I'd been teaching since 86, 87. So we had uh, classes every night of the week. And sometimes, uh, given the building we were in, we might have two classrooms. So there'd be two classes going on. Okay. So, um, astrology at different levels, tarot, meditation, metaphysics, uh, all kinds of classes, but definitely astrology throughout the years. So, I've been teaching since late 86. Okay. Um, so, in terms of that, and you're actually on your way, you're driving through town to go to the OPA, the Organization for Professional Astrologers. Uh, it's not a retreat, but it's a... No. And, and a conference that's happening this coming week. And one of the lectures or talks you're going to be giving is how to give a good astrology lecture. So just to, the one I'm doing at the event is actually on how to create a budget and mm -hmm. set your rates. Um, iAstrologer, which is the event, is this year extended virtually and in person. So they started in uh, early April doing virtual events. Then they'll have the on-site events, the 28th through the, um, the 1st of May. Mm. So that's it, just coming up. And then they're going to extend the virtual lectures through mid-May or maybe even late May. And I'll be doing the one on how to give a talk, how to do public speaking. Mm. I'll be doing that one virtually uh, in May. Okay. And then um, next month, of course, is the first Northwest Astrology Conference that's going to be happening in person in three years now after the pandemic hit in 2020, where you had to go online for the past two years. Yes. So, yeah. So after 38, this will be, our, as I keep saying, 38th year, mm -hmm. the last two years, 2020 and 2021, were only virtual. It was a big deal to drop our first in-person conference and make that decision before it was actually required. Yeah. Uh, and that was, you had basically like a month to do that. Yes. I think. And I had, I had six weeks to convert from an in-person conference to a virtual conference. And I had brilliant people helping me and we were able to accomplish that. And so this year, a lot of people wanted me to do a simulcast. And I just know the process of organization, what it takes. 
And I really felt that coming back in person first and getting that back under our belt was going to be important. Mm. And then working effectively toward a simulcast so that everything was done and organized well for uh, a successful outcome versus trying to hold all that down at the same time. I just didn't think I had the bandwidth for it. Yeah, so. that makes sense to sort of step into new things instead mm -hmm. of like diving in all at once mm -hmm. to do the most hard, hardest thing. Mm -hmm. um, so that's happening and that is so far successful because you, you guys are sold out as of probably the end of what, April now, right? Yes. Okay. So Norwalk is sold out, but you will have recordings of it, both audio and video recordings available to buy after the conference. Right. So they can go to they can go to Norwalk.net, y'all, and you can look at the audio store, the video store, and shop there. You'll see all kinds of audio and video. We run sales uh, periodically, and so you can catch those. But I would say the audio will probably be up during the conference. So if you're just got to get you know Austin's lecture or you've got to get something from Demetra or whoever it might be and you don't want to wait that the audio will, should be up that weekend the weekend of Memorial Day weekend so what is that that is May 27 through the 30th mm -hmm. okay right so we will be capturing video of everything but as to how quickly we can get that up I can't promise. Sure, sure. But it'll so, be there eventually if you yes, can't make Hopefully it within like the next week from the conference, it should be up and ready to go. Cool. Okay. And then you're also organizing, for those that can't attend Norwalk because it's sold out, you're organizing the International Society for Astrological Research is holding, going to host a huge conference here in Colorado in August. And you're also the head organizer of that. I am. I am ESAR 2022, joining hearts and minds. So they can go to ESAR2022.org. Find all the information there. It's October, not October, it's August 25th through the 29th. So it's in Westminster, which is just a suburb here of Denver. And there's a hundred speakers. And so, you know, we're looking to see 500 plus attendees. Uh, that's our goal. Um, it's going to be very exciting. It's going to be lovely weather. Yeah. It'll be a great time of the year. And so if you are just, you know, you miss the, you miss the boat on and you miss the chance for Norwalk. You can certainly email me and get on a wait list and look for, see if cancellations are going to happen. I already have a wait list. But, you know, ESAR is going to be great. It's not a but, but and. ESAR is going to be fantastic. A lot of fabulous speakers there. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and having like that many rooms. It's going to be something like 10 lectures mm -hmm. running concurrently. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's going to be great. I'm glad it's happening not far from Denver, from my hometown. So I'll just like drive over there and... Um, yeah, it'll be really good to see people in person again. One of the things that's interesting to me to witness to see how this goes is there's been such a huge influx of new people and younger astrologers into the astrological community over the past four or five years. And since it's been three years since the last big in-person conference, which was probably the last Norwalk that happened in what May of 2019. It was. Mm -hmm. There's a ton of people that mm -hmm. have entered the field since that time that haven't had the experience of attending an in-person in astrology conference and have only been able to attend them online through Zoom lectures. And while that's still cool and you still get a lot of the information and stuff, there's something I have trouble 
conveying to people that haven't been to a conference yet what it's like to meet up with other astrologers in person and to have that shared um, love or that shared interest in something and be able to, to speak in that language to a bunch of different people at the same time that's really hard to replicate in the online format? It is really difficult to replicate in the online format. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did at Norwalk probably the best we could in replicating the energy that comes from that. Mm -hmm. But it's not the same, right? You can, when you're in a lecture room, right, at an in-person conference, right, you're sharing that space, which would be similar to a Zoom experience. Um, now, you can't send private messages right. <clears throat> in a lecture hall. You can't stand up and shout to the other person across the room, right? right? You have to sit quietly and listen to the speaker. There is that difference. You do that telepathically in right. person. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But afterwards, it's super, you, you're walking out the door, you're, you're sparking up a conversation with somebody mm -hmm. that you cannot, literally cannot do in a virtual environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. you can't go out and like get drinks or like have dinner with mm -hmm. the people in your Zoom room like after going to a Zoom lecture. Yeah you, yeah, you you can't. And so the environment in a conference is magical and special, right? So there's often overused words like synergy and, you know, that kind of connectivity that happens in that space mm -hmm. where your intention uh, mind, body, emotional intention is occupying the same space as somebody else also with that mind, body, you know, emotional intention. So there's, there's something magical that happens and you can't replicate it virtually. Yeah, it's that there's this sort of Uranian lightning in a bottle quality mm -hmm. of there's unexpected things that happen when you put that much, that many astrologers and that much energy just ping-ponging around in a space for like a week and things happen that sometimes are very innovative and beautiful and new that you couldn't have gotten otherwise. So on the episode I think I'll release before this one, I just recorded an episode with Demetra George about her new book, Ancient Astrology, Volume 2, that just came out. And one of the things that we talked about in that episode in a correction that I actually had to make as a follow-up is we knew that it had been almost 30 years to the month when a group of astrologers met up in 1992 at the United Astrology Conference in Washington, D.C., and over the series of a number of dinners over a course of a few nights, that's led to the initial foundation of, of Project Hindsight and this idea between, uh, in particular, Robert Hand and Robert Schmidt and Robert Zoller to start a subscription-based translation project and start reviving and recovering ancient astrology, which hadn't been done up to that point. Um, and then what happened now is that Demetra is publishing her final book, her, the second of her two-part series on that, um, which is kind of completing all of that work that was started exactly 30 years ago, one full Saturn cycle when Saturn was back in Aquarius in 1982. What we didn't know is I assumed that that conference must have taken place in May of that year. But it wasn't. No. I got an email from Ronnie Gail Dreyer afterwards who corrected me and said, actually, your timing was even more perfect than you realized because that conference was like April um, 19th through the 21st or something around mm -hmm. that. And that's exactly when Demetra and I were recording that episode. And it was exactly when her book came out that day on April 20th, 2022. So 
she ended up publishing her book, which sort of marks the final initial phase of the recovery of everything that started in 1992, 30 years to the day of that meeting, which only happened because of that astrology conference and because of the energy of a bunch of people getting together and starting to talk and, and say, hey, what could we do? There's this thing that's never been done or this thing that should happen, but nobody's done it. Maybe we should somehow take the reins and do this thing. And then it turned into this this massive project over the past 30 years that's influenced the community in different ways. It's revolutionized the community in a way, in the sense that it revolutionized from where it was at that point, but it brought back what was hidden or lost or perceived lost mm -hmm. or unaccessible. So yeah. it really did change the field itself of astrology. Yeah. And and just if nothing else, reconnected us with our history. So that even mm -hmm. if that's not your thing or you don't use that form of astrology, we now know you can now pick up a book like Demetra's book or my book and read and learn about the history of astrology and where it comes from and how it got to where it is today. Mm -hmm. And that project took about 30 years and is now, you know, there's still a lot of other work to be done, but at least the initial phases of that where now it's accessible to the general astrological public and audience of new students of astrology is now now completed and it all started at an astrology conference. Pretty amazing. Yeah. So that's that's my pitch for why in-person astrology conferences are important, just because there's some lightning in the bottle, some Uranian element that you can't replicate anywhere else. And it'll be really interesting to see then what comes out of these two conferences this year. And if there's some other version of that that happens again with Saturn and Aquarius um, and the first astrology conferences this year that have happened in three years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see because um, things do happen. People connect, ideas are flowing. You never, you never, never, never know what could arise and come out of something like that. So I like your analogy of uh, lightning in a bottle. I think that, I think that captures it well. Yeah. All right. So that being said, um, if one was an up-and-coming astrologer, no matter how long they've been studying, why don't we transition to our topic, which is um, what does it take to give a good astrology lecture? What are some do's and what are some don'ts? What are some things to avoid? Because there's lots of things where you know you can't learn until you just do it at some point and you learn by process of making mistakes and finding out what works and what doesn't. And you know, astrologers that have been doing it for a while, you've learned from your mistakes and part of the process. But but for me, something I've gotten pretty good at over the course of the past decade or two is I've had to do it enough times where nowadays when you want to learn something new, it's pretty easy to go out there and instead of just like trying it and failing and doing trial by error and learning everything from scratch, sometimes it's good instead to like see if there are guides out there, if there's anybody specifically that will tell you what some of the main tips are when you're first getting started and mm -hmm. the things that they wish that they first knew when they started giving astrology lectures. So what are the, some of the first things that you wish you knew or, or how do you usually start this discussion? So I started teaching, as I said, in 86. And the story goes in my mind that it was, it was, a, it was a failure. Okay, bad astrology first like lecture or first, first class? First class. Okay. Uh, so my first mistake, and uh, so uh, let me just say this. I was smart enough to ask a friend who was not a student to sit in on the class mm -hmm. and give me feedback. Okay. 
And so she's the one that told me it, it, it was awful. <laughs> okay. So it, was a, it wasn't just like a friend because that can be dangerous in and of itself, but it was like a, a blunt friend or... Yeah, it was a blunt friend yeah. that I, I knew would tell me yeah. the truth. Right. <laughs> I feel like that's great. That was great because yeah. that's actually what you're supposed to do. And I've learned, I learned that from another astrologer is to some extent, like everyone's going to give a terrible first lecture and you don't yeah. necessarily need to know when you're walking out the room that you did a terrible job. No. Sometimes just like a pat on the back and yeah. that was great. And then yeah. get a drink is... Yes, and we we went to get a drink, and then she told me. Okay, so once you had sufficiently, <laughs> you had the edge taken off by a few drinks, then she, yeah. you know, yeah, she said that was that was awful, and she said here's why. Okay, she said you quoted a bunch of great astrologers, mm. but I didn't really hear what you thought. Yeah, right. You had a stack of books on the podium, and oh, you, you basically the stack of books. Yes, thing. yes, yes. Okay. A stack of books on the podium, and that. you hid behind them. Yeah, I love that. That's a common. That's funny because that's one I was going to bring up, but like later. But uh, I did that too. It's a common thing, and now I've seen it with a bunch of people. Which is, the astrologers. We mostly <laughs> learn from books, and books are very important. And you've mm -hmm. read so many books. Typically, mm -hmm. by the time you give your first lecture, that you feel sometimes like actually like bringing them physically and like stacking them up yeah. to show, show. all the things you read in preparation mm -hmm. for this lecture and that seems like a good idea at the time but in retrospect <laughs> it often not, like it's not it's, it's really not, not useful it's not useful okay and i found now everybody has their own style some people need to write out their whole lecture mm -hmm. i'm not one of those people i found that the more i um had it scripted, the more stilted, the more boring the the process became for me. Yeah. And for those. That was my second lecture. Right. I did the first one with the, all the books and <laughs> just winging it and that went terribly. Then I tried writing and reading a paper in my second one. No. Very boring. Yeah. Very, uh, yeah. If I can be more monotone than I already am, like it actually <laughs> was cranked up by re reading a 20-page paper in front of a live, live audience. Do not read your lectures. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. That is one of my number one rules. Okay, so rule number one. Yeah, for me is don't read, don't read your lectures, right? Great, have an outline. The thing is, when you're reading your lecture, you're tending to look down or at a screen in front of you, and you're not engaging with the audience. Right. Right. So when we speak that overused word synergy, that's what's happening as well in a lecture dynamic. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you have information. If you want to have bullet points on the screen and a PowerPoint, that's great. Don't write everything out on your PowerPoint either. Because right. basically, why why would somebody come to the lecture? They could just get your PowerPoint and read it. Yeah. So third lecture mistake. Yes. Writing it out of the PowerPoint. So I've done all of your like things. So I'm yes. I'm feeling good about this so yes. far. But um so don't read it directly from the PowerPoint. Yeah, don't read it. Don't write everything out on the PowerPoint. Okay. If you have your notes somewhere that you can glance at. But look, you're, you want your information to flow a little bit more naturally. Yeah. So I often pick people in the audience to literally speak to, look at. Then I'll pick somebody else to look at. You don't want it overly scripted. Start here, start here, start here. I've seen lectures do that too. Right. Then they go back, they go center, they go side. And you can see that with people who do teleprompters too. Oh, yeah. Right? So yeah, then, yeah, the presidential ones, you yeah. always see them because there's usually just two and they look back and forth. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, so part of it then is even early on, 
the the person is nervous and they're wanting to the primarily the astrologer the presenter is thinking of it as an informational lecture and they're usually hyper focused on the information mm-hmm. and conveying the information as precisely and exactly mm-hmm. as they want and that's why they're writing it out but part of the learning process is realizing that it's not just a lecture it's actually a presentation it is and it's- presentation involves like you connecting in s- to some capacity with the audience. Right. So I, I, I actually believe that there's an entertainment factor. Mm-hmm. I'm not up there to make jokes. And some people do. I mean, I like to make people people laugh in my lectures, but mm-hmm. it's spontaneous. I don't have scripted jokes sure. and that sort of thing. But I find humor in the absurd. And when I'm talking, I might find something humorous and say it. So, um, but it, it that, uh, there's several criteria that I'm looking for. One is style, right? So that's that presentation. Are you are is your energy open and out to the world? Mm. Or are you really just afraid? And I get the fear. I've so been there. Confidence. Right. And so you might even need to rehearse a number of times so you feel comfortable, just mm-hmm. even small groups to do your lecture to. Yeah. Right. That's a great, that's a huge tip is, right? is um, if you can, before you get to the conference lecture, try giving your presentation at least one or two times yes. to like a local astrology group yes. or just to some group of astrologers before you get up and give it mm-hmm. for the very first time in front of like an actual conference audience. Mm-hmm. And then information, of course. Is your technique sound? Is your information sound? Is your um, is it organized in such a way that you have delineated your information? Now, now one of the big pieces for me also is you'll find, and I've done this oh so many times. I'm better at it. Is that I'll start out with my concept. I know where I'm starting. I know where I'm supposed to end in a time frame. But I start too slow, and I'm giving. Oh, I'm doing. Yeah, timing. Right. Yeah. So if I've decided I want to explore the 12 archetypes in a particular thread or thought or application or, or planetary application, I, I've i done it where I've like Aries, Taurus, I'm going really slow. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at the clock and now I'm starting to race. Yeah. And then you're at Pisces and you've got two minutes. Yeah. That's a really common early beginner thing is just like getting your timing all wrong and going over your time. But that's something, especially at the in-person conferences, that that you have to be really strict on because there's a person usually like right after you. So if you have to get cut off at a certain point and clear the rooms, the next person can come in and give your talk their talk. So timing is actually really important because if you don't get that right, like you don't get to present everything you wanted, and then that may lead to audience disappointment if they don't get to experience everything that you promised would be in the lecture. Right. So I do a survey after Norwalk, and these are the things that I get back, right? Time management was poor. They didn't finish their lecture. Um, lecture is another one. Lecture, uh, and they do tell me, lecture read their notes. They just read their paper, right. didn't look up. Um, lecture delivered did not match description, mm, Right, is yeah. another one. Yeah, and that happens for a variety of reasons. It does. I mean, often in a conference scenario, you've submitted a lecture a good six, eight, ten months prior to the conference. Or or you act like that. That feels like sometimes longer. It is. A year or two. Yeah. Maybe. And now you're, you want to tweak it. But trust me, as when I, when I get feedback from 
the audience, the attendees, that your lecture did not match your description, I'm going to go back and listen to it and Mm -hmm. see how off it was. Sure. And then that's taken into account for me in choosing speakers in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I I attended a lecture several years ago, not too long ago, and I was actually kind of disappointed because it was one of the few lectures that I made a point to attend um, because I really liked the description and the title and what it was going to cover. And then the speaker went through the entire lecture and then by the end he hadn't actually gotten to... (laughs) It wasn't because it, it was. I don't even think it was because of time management. I think it was just maybe he submitted a description, but then in the two years since he submitted it, he decided to focus on a little bit other parts, and therefore mm-hmm. didn't get to the central thesis that I went there to watch. And it couldn't, even though it was otherwise a good lecture, help but be a little bit disappointing that it wasn't, you know, on topic. Right. So for Norwalk on our website, we ba- we say at the top, lectures are subject to change, and my speakers know that. They can tweak their write-ups mm-hmm. before I go to print. Okay. Well, how late do you go to print? I will go to print when I get back to Seattle. So I have, Early it'll May. be, yeah. Uh, I, a month, basically. Yeah. yeah they, I, I will have, the printer only takes five days, four or five days to print. Mm-hmm. So I try to put it off as actually long as possible for that reason, so that if there are changes, I'm not having to create errata sheets and that sort of thing. So, and this is for, because everybody that attends their astrology conference, you'll get like a print schedule of what the speakers are, what their bios are, what the lecture, final mm-hmm. lecture titles and descriptions mm-hmm. are in a little like notebook that you get when you first sign Yeah, up it's your program guide. It's a booklet. Uh, for us, it's just a saddle-stitched booklet. For ESAR, it'll be a full-on, you know, you know, bound book. Nice. Um oversized, looks like a magazine. Mm, okay. Right. So uh, another issue that I found that- and, and that's really important for new astrologers yes. because that might be attending their first conference this year. I keep thinking of a lot of listeners of the podcast. That's really important what's in that schedule because one of the crises that you're going to have as soon as you show up at your first <laughs> astrology conference <laughs> is there's going to be like five or 10 astrology lectures going at the same time four times a day in the same slot and your crisis is you have to choose one of those because unfortunately in the current uh you know constraints of physical reality we can only be in one place at one time so you got to pick one lecture that you can attend and sometimes there's like five lectures that you want to see at the same time and you have to make a decision based on the description that that speaker wrote and then go into that room yes. and sit there and probably can't get out because it's kind of awkward. I mean, you can, you can do it, but it's a you delicate can. It is. And I've told attendees, look, if you don't know for sure whether you're going to like this lecture, mm-hmm. sit in the back. Yeah. And then when you- I'll Sit at the very front row. Yes. Okay. Sit in the back. That's a good tip. And then if you feel like, hey, you know, this isn't my jam. This is not my thing. This is really not working for me. Mm-hmm. Walk out. It happens. But make sure you don't let the door slam. It interrupts the speaker. You know, some conference centers and hotels have soft shutting doors. Mm. Some don't. And they hit and that that bar goes clang. Right. I've heard that that clang of many people walking out of. And, you know, you're up there speaking and, you know, somebody leaves to may even just to go to the bathroom bathroom and comes back and comes back. And you're thinking, why are they leaving? Right. You're like, am I doing that badly? Or, I mean, are there any tips? There should be like a guide for like how to exit the 
room gracefully like that. Like maybe look at your watch and exclaim like, oh, I've got to be somewhere. Like, <laughs> you know, run out or look like you forgot your wallet. Or Wave a piece of toilet paper in the air. I'm just uh, going to go. That's a, that's, that would be a good signal. It would be like baseball signals. Like, yes. you know, you're doing great, but I have to go I have to the to bathroom. Go. I have to go. Yeah. Maybe that's someone I know. Yeah. Some, one of the things you're doing this year is you're trying to make things more accessible and, yeah. uh, with um, sign language interpreters. Yeah. So we won't, we're, the astrological community, we're going to try to get ourselves there. It's mm -hmm. a, to be honest, it's a monetary issue. You know, people who do ASL, they need to be paid. Um, they only work in one hour blocks. Lectures are usually 75 minutes. You know, you have to have enough of them to rotate them out. Uh, and so there are clearly state, you know, I've looked them up. What are the average uh, rates for ASL interpreters? You have independent interpreters that tend to be lower and then some that come out of companies where they pay their ASL interpreters a rate, but then the company tax on, you know, $20 an hour or $10 an hour. Okay. Right. So in at Norwalk will be our fingers crossed. Uh, we'll be using video cameras that will connect up to Zoom. We'll, from Zoom, have the uh, captions, the um, subtitles and the, the captions there on the screen that anyone in the room can read if they're having difficulty with English possibly not being their first language and reading is easier. Mm -hmm. Or, or potentially in the future, um, those who are from the deaf astrological community who have really had n no opportunity to be at a conference because of the financial barrier that they experience as well as the conference coordinators or the event uh, planners run into in trying to provide ASL. So, I mean, I've had ongoing talks with those in, in the deaf astrology community and those who are um, uh, advocates uh, for and allies to the deaf astrology community. Uh, that's been ongoing over the last probably five years. So we're, it's, it's slower than we all want it to be. It's mm. slower than it probably should be, but we're working on it. Yeah. So you're taking steps and just like with now, you know, for 38 years, you've only recorded audio. You're trying to now figure out and, and incorporate and learn something new of doing video and mm -hmm. then eventually live casting. Um, mm -hmm. Also trying to incorporate other things like that at the same time, but taking sort of baby steps towards that each, each time and each year. Yes. And I do think that certainly with the uh, subtitles on there, and then we have the it will capture the transcript of that as well. And so that could be available to the deaf astrologer as well for them to read. They can be in the, the either whether virtually in the future or come to in person in the conference and then, you know, have space up front so they get clear, clear view of the subtitles on the screen. Hmm. So I think that's important. Yeah. I think that's important for, for sure. sure. And uh, I'm not sure how in the future will, my goal, I'm not sure how it will work, would be to have maybe a track or um, a section of the conference where the speaker is deaf and uh, they are delivering their lecture in sign language. Mm. I think that would be spectacular. Right, for sure. 
Um, yeah. So how did we get there in terms of circling back around? Um, I think we branched from the program guide, but in right, terms of we talked to lectures <laughs> yeah. and um, yeah, etiquette for that. But, yeah, we did that. Yeah. But we've talked about, you know, don't bring a stack of books and yeah. put it on the podium. It's not Your bona fides don't have to be aired out for everyone. And yeah, it's really about what you present. Yes, that's, that's the information that's important. And then on slides, I mean, I did find it was my third astrology lecture, like public lecture, where I did get a handle on it after swinging to those two extremes of winging it and trying to go off the top of my head and that not really working. And then going to the other extreme of reading a paper, a 20-page paper at like a Project Hindsight conference and it being really boring. Um, and then the third one, I did find the middle ground, which at least for me, and it's different Different things work for different people. It is different for each person. For me, having the PowerPoint slides helped and having just some bullet, short bullet points mm -hmm. on each slide to just remind me of the main points that I could just glance at if I forget where I wanted to go next, mm -hmm. but then otherwise try to stay engaged with with the audience as much as I can. And that's something I've had to refine and go from, you know, long paragraphs on the PowerPoint slides, which you really shouldn't do. No. Don't write out more than like one short one line sentence for any bullet point. And even that might be too long, but basically keep it as concise as possible on the bullet points, just something you're supposed to glance at. Um, to remind yourself very quickly, because you also, when you're speaking, you can't read, you can't actually read a paragraph. Like it's going to be very hard for you to actually do that smoothly. Oh, I've I've seen people do it. Yeah, and that and then it just like it's, grinds everything. It does. It does. So, yes, bullet points are very important. There are there are several reasons we've already sort of laid out not to do why not to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. It's it's. It is does drag on, and again, the audience is thinking, "Why am I listening to you read something that I could read later?" Yeah. The other is is that too much information on the screen is distracting as right. well from the speaker. Right. Yeah. Well, it's distracting the audience. They have to stop and read. I mean, where are you at, and what are you lecturing? How do they keep up with what's on the screen yeah. while you're talking? Because the audience's immediate impulse when you're sitting in a lecture is every time the speaker changes the slide, their impulse is to look at what's up on the screen yes. and to take in that new information yes. instead of what the speaker is saying, at least for a few seconds. Yes. Yeah. And then if, then you've got the phenomena, we'll see if it sticks. It's a whole bunch of people now standing up and with uh, their phones the, taking a picture yeah. of the screen. Yeah, we got to get over that because that's a little weird, especially because a lot of those presentations you can get afterwards. Yes, you can so get. It's really unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So those bullet points are very are very important, right? And always make sure your text is a minimum of 24 points. Oh, in size. Okay. Yeah, in size. Anything smaller is too small. Okay. So right? no like five point Comic Sans like yeah, bullet, bullet yeah. points? Okay. Nine, 10, 12, 14. Right. Those are all too small on a big screen. Yeah. They need to be big fonts out there for you to, again, for the mind to be able to grasp that sentence quickly, mm -hmm. right? And then to move on. And I like, if I have bullet points that are going to show up on a page, I'll actually duplicate that slide. And so the last slide has everything on it and each slide before it descends to the first line. So when I advance it, it's adding a line. Mm -hmm. Right, so I'm not putting all the information out okay. there at once. So use the the animate like feature. You can, or you can just 
create the full slide with all the information on it, and that's your last slide. Okay. And then descend it back to there's the first slide has one line, the second slide has two, the third line has three, mm. the fourth till your last slide has all of them. Got it. And then it'll look that way, right? Mm. So every time you advance the slides, it looks like it's just adding a line. Got it. Okay. Right. And so they're not, again, when you put all of that information up there, their first thing to do is stop and read everything. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So that helps to combat that in terms of having too much information as soon as you switch to a new slide. Mm -hmm. Got it. Right. Imagery is great. Beautiful imagery on the screen with a small amount of text can help stimulate creative process in the and actually convey something um, visual that isn't as easy to convey uh, linearly or through language. Sure. So images and also especially for astrology lectures, diagrams. Um, like if you can either learn to make your own diagrams, which is doable or you know find somebody you know that will work that you can afford if you can afford it to make diagrams for you that will hugely improve your lecture both in terms of the audience having some visuals if you're explaining some complex technical concept that they've never learned before mm -hmm. but also it becomes um, a way to remind you of what you wanted to talk about next without actually writing the text out necessarily but just having a diagram and remembering oh this is the next spot in the lecture where I need to explain this diagram. Right. Uh, the other thing here is if you're doing a 75-minute lecture and you've got 25 or 30 slides, you've got to know that oh, yeah. in 75 minutes, you've got two minutes, right? maybe three per slide. Why, why do I feel like you're just going through a list of all the mistakes <laughs> I've made of like 15 years of lecturing at Norwalk? And I realize it's not because of you're just thinking of like all the things I've messed up, but it's because these are things that like everybody or many people yeah. make that mistake at they different make that points mistake. over the course of like 30 years of you watching people and getting feedback on astrology lectures. Right. So let's say you want to do a lecture on the history of astrology and you've got 75 minutes. All right, hypothetically, so if some young astrologer <laughs> wanted to give a lecture on so 75 minutes, so you, early in my career I would say I could fit an easy like 105 slides into that lecture. <laughs> would you say that's an appropriate <laughs> So what is that that's about a little bit under a slide per minute? Yeah. I, I could pull that off. You're saying sure. I can't pull that off? I know. No. That. Okay. no. In my 20s, I would say I'm, I'm damn well going to try because I have a lot of things to say. And, and, and that's, gonna, yeah. so what I'm saying here is then what your lecture becomes, the history of astrology, and you pick a subset. Mm -hmm. Break it up. You break it up. Okay. Right. What part of the history of astrology can I comfortably present in 75 minutes? Right. Or that you need to break that topic down to the bare essentials and you don't need to go into every detail of right. every possible thing about it. Right. Sure. Right. And that's and maybe just a symptom of the thing we talked about first of bringing the books. It mm -hmm. just at what point what is your what are you shooting for? What are you trying to accomplish and are you trying to demonstrate how much you know and that you know everything about this topic or are you trying to convey something that somebody can actually grasp in 75 minutes from your lecture? Right. So I want to make people think. Mhm. Mm and I want to make people feel. That's my intention. Hmm. Okay. That those two are important to me. Not everybody wants to make people feel something, but right. my the type of astrology that I do has emotion and feeling in it. Hmm. Right. So those are two things I want to accomplish. I want them to think, hmm, I didn't think about that before. Right. Or think about it in that way. 
And wow, that really hits me. There's a feeling I have about that. It speaks to me. Yeah, to feel impacted by something you just witnessed. Right. And I've had tremendous feeling from great intellectually given lectures. Rob Hand. Yeah. I mean, I have where my mind has been completely blown away by the end of a 60-minute keynote where he started out somewhere intentionally and then weaving the threads together to come to a conclusion that was just like, yeah, I still, there's this really powerful one he gave in like 2007, 2008. And I never forgot that lecture. It's one of the best lectures I've ever seen because he did it, like you're saying, in his topical, his, his typical Rob Handian fashion of Sagittarius Stellium of like a very circuitous. And you're like, mm-hmm. I have no idea where he's where going. he's going. This is very entertaining and interesting. And then by the end, like he pulls it off, he'd weave it through and come back to the main point, And then it would just be super impactful. And that was usually like the final keynote lecture. You had him do that for years because yeah, he could the always Sunday pull night. that off. Yeah. Sunday night sermon. He called it the Sunday night sermon. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause it was <laughs> never just, you know, because he focused so much on the history of astrology and philosophy, it was often of that theme in some way, but mm-hmm. it also had a very impactful um, component, just like uh, emotionally or intellectually or, or what have you, that left mm-hmm. you walking out of it feeling like you had experienced something. Right. And that's the deal. Mm-hmm. So, thinking about where you want to start, let's say I want to teach the history of astrology, and I know I can't get that done in 75 minutes and probably couldn't get that done in 75 weeks. Let's pick a different topic, like maybe something <laughs> a little personal. I just feel like. <laughs> All right, go on. So, if I want to teach, in fact, I've tried this. I tr- I tried doing this in the past. Okay. I wanted to teach, uh, talk about evolutionary astrology in seventy five minutes. There we go. Okay. By the way, not doable. No. Okay. You no. can't teach the entirety of you, the school of astrology no. in seventy five minutes. You're no. Saying? No. All right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I found that out the 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 hard way. Right. <laughs> and so you have to be able to. Okay, if you want to impart. Some basic, if I wanted to impart some basic components about evolutionary astrology, then I need to think about what are some of the few things I want to tell the audience and where do I want to land? So those are the first two things I think about. Your beginning and end? I think about my beginning and ending. Okay. Because that then helps me fill in. Because if I don't know where I'm ending, I have watched speakers over. You know, they've over-researched, mm. I mean, just over-researched, and they have all this information, and now they're trying to squeeze it down into 75 minutes. Yeah. And they feel frustrated, and so does the audience. And, and if their, like, primary final thesis, and they had a really good one, is at the end of the lecture, but they spend too much time in the middle and never get to the end, then mm-hmm. it just doesn't land the same? It does not. It doesn't. So... Look, know where you want to start, know where you want to end, know what time frame you've got, kind of map it out. Think about, again, if I have 10 slides and I have 75 minutes, that gives me seven and a half minutes per slide. Right, exactly. Right? So, you think literally in those terms. Some of them are going to be a brief slide that might go by, mm-hmm. but some you might, that bullet point is a, a further, dis- it takes a longer discussion or a thought process that you're going through. Yeah, it might take longer to go mm-hmm. through that one slide than you think, which then cuts into other yeah. slides. And then the other part, the other mistake that gets made is I have a premise and now I have examples, right? And the examples really show my premise, mm-hmm. right? It really details it. But I've taken 
60 minutes or 70 minutes to tell you my thing. Right. Ta-da, here's my thing. And now I've got this little bit of time to show you how it works. Yeah. And I've got 10 slides that I wanted to show you about how this thing works. And I've heard, I've heard this phrase so many times in lectures and they're like, and I had a lot of really good examples, but I'm out of time. Yes. And that's so disappointing for the audience because that's really where it gets to the meat of whatever wants to learn, which is like how to do this. How to time. do it. Right. And if you don't get there in time and you don't end up being able to include what you, you wanted to include in those examples because you got stuck on the early prerequisite concepts and, and blew the time on those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't work. And there is an important part of telling them what you're going to tell them. Mm. Hi, my name is Lauren Albandian, and today I'm going to be talking about blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. So I tell you what I'm going to what I'm going to be lecturing on. We're going to be covering these few things. And then we're going to do some examples. So that would be sort of the telling them what you're going to do. And then, of course, then do it. And then doing it. Okay. Right. And then measuring your time in the process. Right. So I do personally do not solely depend on the room monitors to, to give me time cues. Right. So I've got a watch or my phone propped up with time showing. Uh, or if I don't and I've left it outside the lecture room because I'm running the conference and I didn't bring it and I didn't want it to ring. Mm -hmm. I will ask the monitor, how much time do I have left? That's cool to do. Ask them, mm -hmm. right? How much time do I have left? Right. So then I can measure, do I need to drop something here and get to the meat of this thing or the examples so that we can really, I can really show you that what I told you here is how I use it and, and show you how it works. Yeah. I got in the habit of either asking the room monitor if they... Uh, are up for it and hopefully it's not too much of a burden or just asking a friend in the audience to like let me know when I'm halfway through this and let me know when I've got like 15 or 10 minutes left mm -hmm. because then I know like how to pace myself from that point on. Right. So at Norwalk we have monitors that give them the uh, the 10 minute sign and the mm -hmm. five minute sign. Yeah. I right. And the, so yeah. we are all about having speakers start on time and end on time for the reason you had said. There's another speaker coming in and they're anxious. Right. They want to get their equipment set up. They want to get their PowerPoint set up. They want to get that going and they want to make sure it's ready to go. Yeah. And they're nervous. Yeah. And it's not fair to them if you mess up to like take time from them if, if you go long or something. Right. And I have forcibly ended lectures okay. by some big name speakers. Right. They yeah. see me come, Jeff Jower. I'd open the door and he goes, the boss is here. I have to stop. Okay. That's Rick good. Levine. Yeah. Rob Hant, any of them. Well, because they know it's like dangerous once you walk into the room and then they know they're going over time, like they're, they're in trouble <laughs> and they need to wrap it up. They need to wrap it up. Okay. Right. So um, it's, it's a matter of respect for your co uh, fellow colleagues. Back in the day when we have, when we had, uh, we recorded on a, what were those called? Like Cassettes. Cassette yeah, yeah. yeah. Cassette. And then of course, even on discs that had limited they were like 80 minutes on a disc you might be able to get away with five minutes but after that you're done it's being cut off you're yeah. not going to get it on the recording i do i don't, don't want to say i miss those days but at least there was like a physical reason of especially as organizers you could say sorry but your lecture recording literally will get cut off at this point mm -hmm. and i know i have some truncated lectures as a result of that in my early early catalog um but nowadays it's a little unfortunate that we've lost that with the you know, recorders, they can go for like two days or something. Yeah. And we're putting it up on the the website and it's a digital download. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with two to five minutes of going over mm -hmm. 
Any more than that, I'm not. I really much prefer my speakers to be on time. And let me tell you, speakers who might hear this, right, future and past and present, I get feedback from my attendees in the surveys that tell me how much they appreciate that I keep Norwalk on time. Okay. So you are like at Norwalk, like the eye of Sauron. You like see all and you hear all that happens. Yes. You're not directly in the room. That's right. Okay. That's good to know. That's good (laughs) to strike fear into the hearts of the new speakers this year. And that's just circling back is why it's so important. Um, and, and Lisa and I would do this with the, our local Denver astrology group is usually when there's a conference coming up, we'll try to schedule it relatively close so that a month or two before we're going to give a new lecture at a conference like a Norwalk, we will schedule to give that presentation locally because the best thing that does is helps you get your timing down. It does. And helps with that. It also helps with knowing audience reaction and knowing if there's a point that you end up spending more time on than you're expecting or less time and different things like that. You really can't know until you have like a dry run of that lecture. Right. And if you cannot find an audience, and most of us in this day and age have a Zoom account, Mm -hmm. then just deliver the lecture and and set a timer for it, set a clock and watch it and see how it goes. Yeah, do it with friends, like Mm -hmm. online, whatever. Um, But at the very least, if you cannot get any of that, mm -hmm. do it for yourself, right? Yeah, do it with your stuffed animals. I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, just set them up in an audience. and (laughs) I love that. that I want a video of that. Right. (laughs) That's going to cost you. (laughs) I want to see Chris Brennan delivering a lecture to a bunch of teddy bears and unicorns. Well, I'm just, I'm doing it out of fear of you barging (laughs) in that room and like cutting me off at the end of a Norwalk lecture. So that's that's why. Now, there is... um, competing theory about what I'm going to, about to say about a lecture. Uh-oh. There are some who say, never bring your personal into a lecture. Okay. Right? Don't tell. Your own birth chart. Yeah. Okay. Or bring anecdotal stories. Mm. Right? And then there are others that say, and I've, I've looked at, you know, not just lecturing for astrology. I've looked at, you know, lots of websites that do... Um, teach you, you know, give you the bullet points of what to do and what not to do uh, when you're public speaking, doing a public uh, speaking gig. Or, or like right? Toastmasters where you can right. go and mm-hmm. that's the whole thing as an organization for teaching people how to give presentations. Right. But if you look at TED Talks, they're very personal. Mm-hmm. They're talking about their lives in right. some way, right? Now with astrology, you know, you have to deliver information. You're delivering technique or story around mythology and really wrapping people into that. But bringing some personal element into it personalizes it, and it gives other people a place in their own lives to associate to the information. Mm. Now, if you spend 75 minutes talking about yourself, you've done something wrong. Yeah, that's the the extreme version that does not pretty much ever typically go well is when people only focus on themselves for yes. like an entire lecture. Yes, yeah. Yes. So d- d- don't do that. <laughs> yeah, and and that is a debate though that people have about whether it's ever okay to share your birth chart at all in a lecture or personal examples or talk about your own life. And there's, 
I've usually ended up in the middle ground of that. I know there's different views that can go to either extreme, but I'll do it, you know, occasionally if I have a really good example and just try not to dwell on it and make it the like entire lecture. Right. And I will use my personal here's the reason I use family members with permission and people I know. I actually don't act like to use public figures mm. because we only know what we know about them, mm. the public view of them. And we don't know their personal lives, uh, really. Mm. And so uh, I tend, in fact, I don't. I don't use public figure charts. Uh, I don't know what some of their history is. If I'm using somebody's chart who's done heinous things right. uh, or as a racist or misogynist or whatever. So I tend to stay away from public figures, yeah, that's right. a whole the personal versus celebrity chart example is a whole debate in the astrological community yep. for like a bunch of reasons. A lot of reasons, right? So I'm on the camp. I don't use celebrity charts or public figure charts. Okay, right. Uh, so I tend to use the charts of people that I know mm-hmm. or a client well enough that I've got permission that I can use the chart without their name on it, right, and explore mm-hmm. that. But I think that when talking about one's personal life, it should be brief, as you said, should be brief and short, uh, not to dwell on it and to move on. Right. Right. So you're not making the lecture. I'm not going to make the lecture about me, but I can tell anecdotal stories and feel comfortable doing that. And it really resonates with people when I do. Yeah, because having a firsthand experience, you are able to tell a much more vivid depiction or account of Mm -hmm. what that example is about and what the important points are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, So I'm good with that. uh, If you bring some of the personal into it. I guess the counterpoint is uh, you have to be really good at telling that story Mm -hmm. because one of the things I see people fall into as a trap is that they, the astrologer presenter, know it so well that they take for granted without conveying that the audience shares the same level of understanding of why this is a good right. example. And that can be the drawback as you know them too well. So you're taking into account or taking for granted things that the audience doesn't know right. versus with a celebrity, at least abstractly or in theory, the benefit there is if it's a big enough celebrity, then everybody has some shared understanding of who that person is theoretically. Right. Right. So you got to so, just do it. And that and I think that goes that leads to a broader topic. Again, if you're going to talk about a topic, uh again, you don't uh, how do I where do I want to go with this? So one of the things that we've really worked on with Norwalk is trying to detail is this a beginner, intermediate or advanced lecture and what topic, you know, what what genre is it? EA. And I was very clear with the speakers, is this um a beginner overall lecture mm-hmm. for a beginning astrologer, or is this beginning to the technique? So if you're wanting to teach um, something in classical astrology, um, like perfections, right? Is this a beginning class on perfections? So mm-hmm. somebody who has some knowledge of astrology, it might be an intermediate level overall for astrology, but it's a beginning level for perfections. For that technique. Right. Okay. So that can be helpful in that process. To like articulate whether, especially in your description, whether this is a beginner, intermediate, or advanced lecture. Right. Because what can happen is that, and what I was trying to do is sort of go off of what you were saying, is that that uh, with 
if one is using one's own chart, mm. I'm more intimately aware of the nuances of my life that nobody else is going to be aware of, mm. right? Where that shared experience of a public figure, we have some sort of potentially agreed upon vision or knowledge or or or, or um, image of that person. Right. The classic, like, everybody uses Hitler as a chart example right. situation. Right. Uh, or, you know, political figures like Trump and Obama or whoever it might be, mm. right? And then we have a shared, potentially shared experience politically. Really? About, <laughs> yeah. We won't go there. All right. So, what I, what I wanted to say is that don't assume, well, first of all, if, you're in, if you've clearly stated your class is advanced and somebody walks in who's a beginner and starts to hijack the conversation to a beginner level. This is an this is an overarching big piece that I had to learn firsthand as a young astrologer doing lecturing. And that is when somebody sees your vulnerability, stands up and in the guise of asking a question mm -hmm. and starts to deliver a monologue. Oh man, yeah, that's one of the worst. That's one So of the worst. we call that hijacking the lecture. Mm -hmm. Right. So that if whole like lecture in and of itself, which is just like different audience members as a lecture that you will have to deal with and just be prepared right. to deal with. We I have banned someone from Norwalk for hijacking lectures right. on a regular basis. And and when you say that to make that not sound severe, what we're talking about is like extreme examples. Extreme example. Being like, I have a question and then yeah. literally talking for like ten minutes yes. in the middle of somebody's lecture. And Attendees coming to me, speakers coming to me, detailing, then having a conversation with the person, telling them not to do it, mm. tried to interrupt me. And I said, mm -mm, stop, you need to listen right now. That's the whole point. Right. And then did it again. And then I said, you can't come back. Okay. Yeah. So, so to anyone listening that's going to attend an astrology conference, like, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy that tries to hijack or, or highlight or yourself when it's somebody else's that's giving the lecture. Right. And so I have seen this done skillfully, where a young astrologer may have been teaching. Um, what? Who was I listening? I was listening back to an old lecture of Norwalk, and somebody in the beginning stages of the more of the traditional astrology as it was starting to come out from um, Arhat, right? And so it had some of the elders in the audience, mm -hmm. and that young astrologer elicited feedback from them, which was different. And they were respectful and didn't hijack it. They they gave just enough and then gave it back to the speaker, which was really, I thought was really cool. Mm. Right. So yeah, that's the ideal. In one of my lectures when I was a young lecturer, uh, an older woman, a friend of my mom's, um, was in the lecture. And this happened to me. And she was brilliant. She stood up and interrupted the woman and she said, I'm not here to listen to you. I'm here oh, yeah. to listen to her. I love that audience member, like the audience member that sticks up for the yes. speaker and tells the loud mouth to like quiet down. Yes. Because then the speaker doesn't have to do it. Right. It gets tricky. Yeah. So I've learned, I've developed skills for derailing that. Mm. As a speaker, you mean? Yes, as a speaker. For derailing the initial person from like hogging the. Right. I will interrupt mic. them if they've gone where there's no. If I do not see a question happening, mm. I interrupt them and say, Is there a question you'd like to ask? Okay. What's the. So that's your. Because I was going to ask, like, what are your phrases to help gently sit down somebody that is 
um, being obnoxious or, or starting to be inappropriate in the level of time? Because I know there's there's like a good way to handle that, and then there's also like a bad way to handle that. Right, and sometimes you have to get a little bit more aggressive. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, in a public scenario, when you're asking somebody to, is there a question that you have for me? And in the beginning of a lecture, I will actually set an intention. And I'll say, if you have a question about the topic that I'm discussing, I would love for you to raise your hand as you have them. Okay. I will not curious. answer questions about your personal chart. Mm, that's good. Okay. Right? Because right. people will do that. Well, I, I, I see you're talking about that, but I have I have Mercury-Venus conjunction in Pisces, and, you know, it's uh, a post-Saturn in Virgo, and, and you know, it's got a T-square to you, and then just go off, and then, well, how does that work for that? Right. Or the classic, like, um, you just taught this, but I have this in my chart, and it doesn't work like that for me, or something like yes. that, which is also a yes. little annoying. And then uh, one of the... Okay, so... Uh, so my first step is to say, uh, is there a question that you have? Because I'm not hearing one yet. Mm -hmm. And I might say that. I'm not hearing one yet. Do you have a question? Or I don't understand what, what your question is. Right. Like, no, I'll literally say. Okay, you would be very blunt. Okay. I'll be very blunt. I am more soft, softer. A yeah. Bit. yeah. Yeah. So I will say, do you have a question that I can answer here? Okay. If they ask me. Some if they keep going, I'll say this is a discussion you can you and I can have after the lecture. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, that's a good because that's just a clean transition. It it's is not necessarily offensive. It's not. It's not offensive. I'd like to have this. That's a great idea. That's a great topic. Let's have this at another time. Right. I need to get on with my lecture. Okay. Right? And just do that. Uh, if somebody asks me a question about their personal chart, I'll say we're not doing that here. However, if you'd like to set an appointment with me at another time to talk about your chart, I'm happy to do that. That's, That's setting boundaries with people because people just are anxious to know about themselves. They really are. Sure. Right. They want to. That's the whole thing. Yeah. That's the primary thing for 98% of people in, yes. in astrology. Right. So they want to know more about themselves. And here's an opportunity potentially to ask you in an environment where I might get that information at no extra charge. Yeah, I, I messed up. I did that in a Rob Hand lecture at Norwalk very early on, and he was doing a solar return workshop, and he was asking for examples from the audience to like put up on the screen, but I misunderstood what he was asking, and I was like, oh, I've got a great solar return chart that's coming up, and I'd love to have you look at it. And he's like, I, I'm, that's great, but I'm actually looking for ones that people already experienced so they can tell me how it went. Yes, and how it we went. Can see. Mm -hmm. So yeah, being clear about that as a speaker, like if you're looking for an example that has already occurred, so it can actually be used as an example for discussion versus just like a prediction where we don't know what will actually happen because it hasn't happened yet. Um, and also as a as an audience member, being clear what the speaker is asking for and, and only volunteering that which the speaker has mm -hmm. actually requested. These are healthy boundaries, mm -hmm. right? So it's really important as a speaker that if one person stands up to hijack your lecture, derail it, mm -hmm. you have potentially 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 other people, depending on who you are, who are depending on you. To deliver the information. Yeah. And to be able to like stand up for yourself in some instances mm -hmm. and defend that. And because that every minute is like eating into like slide time, mm -hmm. you're getting to everything in that 75 yeah. minutes, which is. I've a, had well known speakers not able to do it. Okay. 
Yeah. Right. So I that's mean, a tricky is something you have to learn. It is something you have to learn and it's and it's nerve-wracking at first. Mm. You don't want to offend anyone. Yeah. But there are other people in the room who are squirming in their chair because they want the person to sit down. Right. They want them to sit down. And that can be really tricky because sometimes it comes from this person who does that. And, and if, it, if it can be too much, sometimes it comes from a lack of social awareness. Yes, on social some level. cues. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's it's genuine and it's not meant on the part. I mean, sometimes it is. Like there's, sometimes there's just like somebody who is kind of a jerk about it or trying yes. to. You know, challenge the speaker. I've seen that happen. challenging the speaker. So it's 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 mm -hmm. really a rude sort of uh, thing. But other times it can be coming from a genuine place and just like an obliviousness that I would say that's the line share. You think that's most of it? Yeah. Okay. So sort of this oblivious line share. I don't. Th there is malicious intent to show up someone to literally derail the the lecture mm -hmm. to show them up to occasionally yeah that can happen but it's not the vast majority in fact it's a small small piece of that so and that's really important to understand as a speaker because that's one of the reasons why you need to try to deal with it as in a, as classy mm -hmm. and delicate as a manner as you mm -hmm. can because even if you start like sweating because you're running out of time and you know mm -hmm. if this person keeps talking longer you're not going to get to your main point and going to get kicked out of the room mm -hmm. You need to try to deal with it as carefully and gently as you can while still being firm about right. it um, because you ultimately don't fully know where that person's coming you from. Don't. And if you shut them down too hard, that could also get awkward in terms of mm -hmm. the audience maybe having a negative and sort of like turning on you, Yes, which which I've seen at different and points. So one, one solution to that is stating it very clearly at the beginning. I will not be taking questions during my lecture. Sure, that's... Now, the problem with that is if you don't time manage well and mm -hmm. give space for Q&A, you'll never get to those questions. And then people will also complain potentially about yes, that. Yes, yeah. exactly. So I try, to, I try to allow the questions to happen organically as they occur. That works better for me. Mm. And it doesn't for other speakers. So you need to find as a speaker or, an, or as a potential speaker find your way in that. And it just takes practice yeah. what that will be. So the two options are either you will accept some questions mm -hmm. during the course of the lecture, or you're going to ask them to save their questions mm -hmm. until, let's say, predefined times, like halfway through or at the end of the lecture. Yep. Um, and that's, yeah, that's super important because that goes to time management just again, because if you take too many questions during the course of the lecture, you will not get to all your points. That's right. And you can say, that's a great question. I don't have time for that right at this moment in time. Come mm -hmm. to me after the lecture. Mm -hmm. Right? It's okay to say those things. Right? You are trying to meet the needs of however many people might be in your lecture, not just that one person. Right. Also knowing that this one person's question might actually be the same question that's on any number of people's minds who are too timid to actually ask the question. Sure. Yeah. Right. So we we don't want people not to ask questions. Yeah. We want them to be pertinent to the lecture at hand. Okay. You talked about this technique. Um, I wasn't quite clear on how you got from point A to point B. Can you clarify that for me. That's a, yeah. that's a great question. Because like 30 other people might have the same thing because that may yeah. be a, a weakness that you're not aware of until that question comes up in your lecture where there's something that's not clear at that point, Correct. which is another reason why it's good to do one or two versions sort of, of that lecture before you get to the conference mm -hmm. because 
if those questions come up at that point, you may realize there's something you're taking for granted or is not explicated well enough at that point. Right. You need to actually then address in the lecture at that point. That way it doesn't come up as a question. Right. Yeah. So the one of the other things I'll talk about, and this is takes lots of practice, and I find myself slipping on a regular basis when I lecture or teach. Mm-hmm. So let's let's define lecture and teaching. Right. Okay. So a lecture is going to be a short anywhere from it can be a short 15 minute, can be a 30 minute, all the way up to even a 90 minute lecture. Mm-hmm. Right. When you start teaching, you're doing a longer workshop or an ongoing class. Mm. Right. So those are just my definitions for the difference between a lecture uh, and um, a class. And there's the point I just slipped into it. And I've probably done it a lot. And that's the verbal vocal tics. Such as the um, um or... Right. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got a lot of those. Yeah. And I've got the, the up speak. That's what I, one I've mm-hmm. been working on, which is a version of a, of a, a tick. Right. Yeah. So it is, I find myself using right uh, a lot. There's the uh again. Mm, I use sure. I don't, I picked that up on a podcast, but now I can't, can't stop it. <laughs> yeah. So I, there was one woman, uh, uh, so it's one of those spaces where your brain is reaching for the next word. Mm-hmm. And if you are doing a lecture where you're reading something, it's less likely for you to have a verbal tick mm-hmm. to struggle to reach for the next word mm-hmm. as your mind is cataloging and moving. I'm an extemporaneous speaker, so it's all happening. I know the outline of what I'm going to lecture, but the words I'm going to use are not planned. Mm-hmm. So it is about using breath, and it's about using space in between words and breaking the habit of uh, yeah. um, because that can get when you're nervous amplified, and people can start saying uh between every word or sentence, and that can really drive you crazy as an audience member. So, so one of the things people have to train themselves to do sometimes is instead of externalizing it, sometimes to be silent in those, which can be really hard. The silence is the trick. Linda Lehman hums a little. She goes, hmm, when she's reaching for a word. And I find that acceptable. In fact, I find it pleasant. Mm. Instead of the, ah. Sure. So sometimes the answer or a middle ground can be finding something that's at least like somewhat appealing auditorially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like I said, it takes practice. It takes awareness. And it takes... If you've got a video or you're recording, get the copy of your lecture that that you've just presented. Right. Listen to it carefully. Mm. Find those places and breathe. Breath is super important when you're breathing. And when it's super important when you're breathing, it's also super important when you're lecturing. Yeah. So those are some of the things that I think about, you know, body movement. Mm -hmm. How do you stand? There are some in, you know, the, if you look up how to give a lecture online, there were some who say, don't move. Oh, some people say, don't move. Okay. Yes. Okay. Stand your ground. Hmm. Deliver your lecture. Okay. 
There are others that pick the opposite view, right? I think there's a middle ground in there. Sounds like a fixed sign versus like mutable cardinal sign debate. You'd think. Right. I'm a mover when I am giving a lecture in person. Hmm. Now, over the last two years, we've sat in front of computers. Yeah. We don't get to move about. Right. So it'll be interesting when I go back to Norwalk and deliver a lecture. I'm going to have to actually, because we're going to capture the video, we need the person to stand in the at the podium. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see who does and who doesn't. Right. The AA conference in England, when I talked to Wendy Stacy, these were the techniques they were using. And she some, said sometimes speakers wandered away from the podium and then they'd wander back. And I think too much movement. And I look back at my old lectures, even in my own mind, I moved too much. Mm. Right. There's just too much movement that was happening. Sure. So it becomes a little distracting. Yes. It becomes a little distracting. But I do like the quality of being able in a smaller room or even a bigger room where there's space to walk to one side, you know, and Mm. kind of look at someone and then move over here and then talk to someone over here. Mm-hmm. So there's dynamics. You want dynamics. You want dynamics of your voice. You want dynamics of your presentation. You want some dynamics. Even if it's not great movement, you can move your hands. Yeah. You've got inflection of voice. Right. You've got facial expressions, right? All of that needs to have some level of the dynamics so that there is energy movement Mm-hmm. And there isn't that one note kind of thing that's happening that people will, you don't want people nodding off yeah. in your lecture. Yeah, because that's the thing at conferences is like it's an intense and tiring experience. You, you're you flying all the way out to like a, a foreign, sometimes country or city mm-hmm. or state. You're staying in a hotel, so you're not like sleeping in your normal right. bed. Like you're getting up early each morning because like lectures are starting at what, 9, 10, nine. You gotta get breakfast in, you gotta get showered before mm-hmm. that. You don't wanna be like stinky walking around the hotel room, ideal <laughs> around the hotel ideally. Um, and then you're sitting in like four to five lectures oh, a day. Yes. And then in the middle of that, you're going out and you're socializing with a ton of people, mm-hmm. or afterwards people have dinner and then stay up late, like talking in the lobby. Mm-hmm. So you only sleep for a few hours and then you go go to sleep and you wake up and do it all over again the next day. The people sitting in those rooms then sometimes like they're having a pretty intense and, and kind of tiring experience. And if you then get up in the front of the room and present a, a really boring, sort of uninspired, flat thing that while interesting on some level, yes. is not dynamic enough to sort of keep their attention, yes. you're gonna accidentally put some of them to sleep. Yes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure you're gonna put some. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that's and tough. and um, this is the big challenge for keynote deliverers because mm. now the one on the in Saturday Saturday morning is a is okay Sunday morning's tough because they've been partying all night okay and now you've asked I put a big name speaker in there Sunday morning they don't want to miss them so they're dragging ass into the right. lecture room with their coffee <laughs> right. and they're bleary eyed yeah, right sunglasses just <laughs> yes to hide the, right. yeah. and then there's also after dinner you've eaten. And now you're going to try to stay awake for a lecture. And those folks that are delivering those evening keynotes got to keep the energy up. Right. They've got to keep a level of up and down. That energy's got to move so that it keeps people their attention. Mm. 
And so that's a <laughs> that's an important process here. And so I love that because it brings up if I'm actually go ahead. No, no, I there was something in my brain and I kept circling back to it and and then danced away from it. I was like, there was something I really wanted to say, and now I can't remember what it was, and that's okay. because I derailed myself. Okay. <laughs> well then I don't apologize for drilling you to go on this thought, which is brings up something really important about being an astrologer, which is some people will say their maybe reaction to hearing some of this is like, well, I'm not um, you know, a TED Talk person. I don't need to learn those skills because I'm about doing the information or I'm not about being theatrical or something like that. Like being learning to be a presenter is not my thing because that's not what I am. I'm an astrologer. But that's one of the beautiful things about being an astrologer is you have to learn so many different things and so many different fields all come into play as part of being a professional astrologer that yeah, to some extent, you actually do have to learn how to do some of these things well and wear many different hats as an astrologer, not just as a public speaker, which you now, congratulations, are, but doing other things like you know running a business, um, being a consultant uh, or counselor in terms of doing some level of counseling with individuals, learning sometimes how to run a website or sell your lectures afterwards. There's so many, you know, sometimes learning history, a bit of history or learning biographies like how to read biographies or do research for individuals there's so many different hats that astrologers have to wear and this is potentially one of them if you ever want to speak or present what you learn not just at a conference in lectures but also in workshops or in private classes to individuals and i i have to say that not everyone is built to lecture sure sure mm -hmm. there are some great authors out there who couldn't lecture mm -hmm. and that, and that's okay and that's okay right now I consider myself a good lecturer. Mm -hmm. I deliver a good lecture. There's energy, but I can't write my way out of a paper bag. Okay. Right? Sure. So there's different skills and it's okay. Right. But I will also say this I started out terrible yeah, that's at what thing. I did Is it like and became better at it. Right. And, and you don't want to sell yourself short because I was also somebody that started terrible. And also was just when I like petrified of public speaking, which while that's like, you know, there, there's always that stat about how that's supposedly like one of the biggest fears sure it is. Of, of people is sure. public speaking. And there's some people that may feel that even more intense, intensely. And I certainly did early on. I remember when I was going to Kepler College in the mid 2000s, one of the things at symposiums they would make us do was public debates where we'd pick a debate topic and then Good. debate it. And I had a really good thing to say at one point, but I was just like so nervous that when I stood up, I just like could hardly speak and was like shaking. So public speaking was not my thing when I started out. And if anybody saw me then or went to one of my early lectures, they would be like, that guy is not going to have a career talking about astrology. Um, but after a lot can of I practice, say I had my concerns? <laughs> you may you may say that we're, <laughs> we're friends, so that, so you may say that. I'm sure there was some earlier. There was probably even some late, honestly. Um, and we'll get into reasons for that. You know, not great feedback things because one of my other things that we might transition to at some point is um, procrastination and getting your lectures together on time and being ready to do yes. what you got to do at a conference, which is another yes. things that people sometimes struggle with for some of the reasons. We talked about before, like for example, submitting a lecture description a year or two ahead of time. Sometimes setting it up because ideally, you know, we're talking about something that you specialize in or have done a lot of work on. But sometimes 
speakers also want to present something like new and something that they're working on, but they haven't presented or taught before. Yeah. So sometimes speakers will, will, you know, set a thing for themselves to work out a new lecture and it'll take work to put that together in different capacities because it is teaching. You're, you're teaching something. And um, yeah, sometimes speakers will like overestimate how much time they have to prepare for that. And then all of a sudden it, it sneaks up on you and you're flying out to give this lecture like next week and you're not finished with it. And that's a terrible position to be in. It's it's scary. Mm-hmm. It's nerve wracking. It's stressful. Right. Uh, and it's bad for your health. It probably yes. has shaved like 10 years off my <laughs> lifespan, just like trying to do preparation in time for a lecture. Right. I have been teaching, <clears throat> I think, about 35 years. Mm. That's when I first started teaching classes. Mm-hmm. I've been lecturing since, I don't know, I don't know, maybe 25 of those. Okay. Uh, the teaching gave me better skills as a lecturer. Yeah. Right. So I was doing this <clears throat> week in and week out. So I started out with one class. It was a six-week class. And then I got to the point where I was teaching four nights a week, four different levels, 10 to 12, sometimes 20 students a class. You're doing that on a regular basis. Your communication skills, I should hope, get better. Mine did. Sure. So that really laid, I had about five years of teaching prior to doing my first NARWAC lecture. Nervous as I'll get out, Mm. right? But at least I had those five years of comfortability of delivering information. Right. Right. Because this is in the olden days, like before the internet. So this is like those olden days back in the day when (laughs) before like indoor plumbing and stuff. Yeah, all of that. Uh, So you were teaching classes in person, which is definitely more common to some extent back then. Yes, definitely. It was exactly only the only thing we did. I think we finally branched off into that they would conference call into the class. Nice. I can see that like... (laughs) 1980s or 90s, like a yeah. bunch of people in suits, like on a conference call <laughs> learning astrology or the old, like I hear about like the written yeah. classes, correspondence courses of people taking classes from like Olivia Barclay or people in the UK and doing it. It's like all written out and stuff like that. Yeah. I didn't do that. That, okay. that, had, I just, that had yeah, been that the rough. end of me sure. for sure. Yeah. Just stick a fork in me. I'd have been done. Right. Writing is just not my thing. Uh, but Having that skill of teaching and being in front of people, I thought would translate well. It it did, mm. but the the scarier part is you have, you know, I had been teaching students and yeah. material I knew really well, right? right? And people and you're seeing every seeing week. every week. And it's like now I'm going to be in front of people I don't know, and the first big name astrologer that came into my lecture, I about you know, had a coronary at that moment right, in my, yeah. you know, 30s or whatever it was, or 20s or 30s when I first lectured. Yes. Yeah, so right. Like Rob Hand or like <laughs> yeah. Dr. George. Yeah. Like. Stephen Forrest came in, nice. you know, Maria okay. K. Sims came into one lecture and I was just like, oh God. And they sit down and they right s- in the front row. Yeah. Okay. Well, luckily Stephen sat in the back. Okay. And then <laughs> he's learned to like be able to escape if he needs to. But in the early days, I had 10 people in lecture. When Stephen Forrest walks in, there's, he's not hiding anywhere. Right. Yeah. That's a little tough. And so for your first time speakers, you now there's a big difference between first time speaking back before the internet and first time speaking now. And the reason I say that, Chris, is that. I didn't have a previous audience. Nobody knew my name, mm. right? So that 
when I went in to do a lecture or present a lecture, I might have five people, 10 people. And over time, it built up. Right. Now you have astrologers who have internet following, Mm -hmm. right? So their lectures could be and may very well be better attended than my first lectures were because they have an audience, they have a following that is built in. Yeah, to some extent. Right, to some extent. It's true. Uh, So I always put my untested, untried speakers in a small room. Now, sometimes they do have a bigger following than that room will contain. Yeah, and it surprises you? It does. Yes, in the last few years or previous to the two virtual conferences, there were a couple surprises in 2018 and 2019. Yeah, I know that's a, that small room well uh, from my own <laughs> personal experience and having like 10 people that were all friends at my first lecture as well as seeing other friends of mine coming up and having the small room experience mm-hmm. and being one of the friends sitting in the audience of like five or 10 people for their first lecture. Yes, yeah. and it's better to have those five or 10 people in that room than to be in a you know, and it sits 40 to 50 people, right. than to be in a room that seats 100 to 150 and you've got five to yeah. 10 and people. It's demoralizing. There's just like a tumbleweed blowing hot. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's rough. So, you know, these are things that one can and may expect and not be demoralized by it. In yeah. fact, be grateful because you're, you may not have this big audience that you feel pressured to deliver. And I remember my first, one of my first early big lectures on a stage. It was, uh, I think it was the San Francisco Astrology Group. And there might have been a good 100 to 200 people in the audience. Angel Thompson was there. There were some other people there that were, and and I'd been lecturing and talking for a while, but I was still nervous. Yeah. Right. When you start getting it, the, the, and then I did bigger stages where I wasn't necessarily lecturing, where I was, you know, like UWAC, where I was on a big stage and there's 1,400 people in the audience and you're talking to them, doing something. And I felt, you know, after all those years, I still felt nervous to that point, mm-hmm. uh, to the point at UWAC where I lost my voice and I was struggling to do the, right. the awards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was good. I remember that. That can be yeah. rough. Yeah, and so look, all those kinds of things, if you lecture enough, if you teach enough, this is part of the instrument that you need to take care of. Right. So warm tea, you know, making sure that your vocal cords are warmed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're going to be talking for a long time, a workshop particularly, making sure that you have what you need to keep your throat operating and your voice operating well yeah bringing adequate like water with Mm -hmm. you before you get started Mm -hmm. so you don't find yourself with like dry mouth like 10 minutes into a lecture and then and i've done that minutes yeah yes i've done that i'd had to stop and ask the room monitor to grab me some water because i'm like right yeah yeah and And it's 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 kind of now my other big embarrassment i'll tell some stories is i did my very first keynote at norwalk i've always i've never done keynotes at norwalk it's a couple of reasons. One is the audience was big and it scared me. And number two is Norwalk as at that point is uh, because I coordinate it. Norwalk is not about me promoting myself in that arena. It's about promoting other people. It's right. always been, that was the mom's motto. That's my motto. Uh, it's not about me being out front. Mm-hmm. 
Norak's my thing, so I get enough from that. But nobody took the spot, so I had to fill it. Okay. So you're like pinch hitting. Is that the baseball yep. analogy? Yeah, okay. that's it. I'm not a baseball guy. I'm not a baseball girl, All but right. I, I do believe that is what it's called, pinch hitting. There we go. So I did the lecture. It was material I knew really well, it's, which is what I wanted to make sure it was material I knew really well. Mm-hmm. But I had a brain freeze right in the middle of it. Yeah, that's a thing. Where you're just like, you forget everything you wanted to say. Everything you wanted to say, you knew you were heading somewhere, and it's gone. Right, and you practiced a million times. Yep. You had a great lecture all laid out. I'd given that lecture at UAC. I'd given the lecture other places. I've taught the material. Mm. I knew it up and down, and I froze. Yeah, that's a thing. I mean, that's why this is probably pre-PowerPoint if you're talking about your first keynote. so No, my first keynote was only a few years ago. It was probably 2018 or 19. Okay. Yeah. Do you have slides? Because that's where no. slides come in handy for me is just like, I, I know if I space something out in the middle, I can always just glance at it and know what the next thing was I was supposed to go into. We were taught, I was doing a lecture on Mars and I asked for a, it was, it's what I do, right? It wasn't out of the ordinary. I said, somebody toss out Mars, give me a sign. And let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And somebody said Mars and Taurus, and I have Mars and Taurus, and I went blank. Okay, well, that's see, that's a special thing there because that's a risky. <laughs> you know, you can do that. And it's a style, and it's more engaging. Yes, it, it, there's a version of a lecture where it is more interactive with the audience, and there's the wild card thing of like taking charts or taking examples, or which I can do in my sleep generally. But I froze, and what I had to say to everyone is. Here, this is where I am. I, I've, I've had a brain fart. Oh no! Okay. And do you, do you just pack it up and go home at that point? Or no, what? I just stood there in it. Okay. Until I could regroup. Okay. It, it, it seemed like an eternity. It was probably 10, 15 seconds. Okay. Yeah. Which is still like, when you're you staying. Like you know, you got five hundred people staring at you. You're like that. Fifteen seconds is a lot of time. Yeah, and you still remember this in your dreams. Yes, of course. Your nightmares, like yes. years later. Yes. Yeah. So that look. Things can happen. My point with this is things can happen, right? Your slides might get mixed up even though you had them all laid out. Mm -hmm. The font that you had imported into your PowerPoint, you fire it up, you're in front of the class, and the fonts disappeared. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Stuff's going to happen. Right. It's okay. Own it, right? Don't own it in the way by saying, I'm a dummy or, God, I can't believe I... Don't do that. Just mm-hmm. say, well, you know, these things happen. We're going to, I'm going to fix this right now, or we're going to move on to something else. Yeah. Just try to breathe and do what you can to recover and just mm-hmm. go forward from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Another one is like projector not working or like laptop yep. not working. Like that's a kind of a, like how to are- console some people of just like calm down, we'll figure it out. And pulled it off at the last minute, like grabbing a projector from another room just to save them from that. But the tendency is just to panic and and freak out. Oh, speakers panic, man. Even the best speakers panic. Right. Right. Because it is, it's their career, it's their image, it's their reputation. Mm -hmm. Right. You're up in front of a crowd, you are performing, right, and delivering information. And there's a shared expectation from a personal point of view of, of what you're going to do and the expectation from the audience. And so speaker anxiety 
is is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And any of us who've been speakers know this, and then any of us, and I've done both sides, who have assisted a speaker of getting their technology set up or getting them ready to go, that when a little thing doesn't go right, Mm -hmm. they can lose it. Yeah. Right? And so if that happens, always be kind and polite to the people who are trying to help you. Right. Don't start like punching your room monitor. Right. If There's been some bad behavior and from speakers. Even, and I was not referring to a specific situation. I was just making a no. joke. Yeah. No, no, no punching. No. But there have been speakers who have been abusive and blamed the room monitor because they can. Yeah, I was I was actually that room monitor once. It was funny, one of my first conferences, and this is again in Norwalk, it's funny how many of my like horror uh, childhood Great. wounding experiences, <laughs> happened in Norwalk. Well good, good experiences <laughs> happened at Norwalk, but uh, I was volunteering at my first or second Norwalk and I was setting up the bookstore and then I did room monitoring. And I don't know which one if it's the first or second, but um, there was a big name speaker and yeah, he was kind of a jerk to me at the beginning, and I always remembered that it was ironic because I ended up working with him and collaborating on something years later. And I can't remember if we ever talked about it, but it was funny how that experience was for me as a um, room monitor. Just because, yeah. yeah, I was just there trying to, as a student, trying to attend a conference. just trying to attend the conference, yeah. trying to be of assistance to the speaker. So just remember, they're doing the best they can. Right. We've brought in people who have skills, so we haven't just brought in people off the street who know nothing. So we try to get people who have some computer skills. In fact, we do. To be fair, I knew nothing, so he maybe was in the right for that. I mean, you, I was just a random dude. So. <laughs> you weren't a random dude. You've never been a random dude. I mean, there was a period where I was a random person early on. Like, let's say I'm just attending Norwalk. I'm attending Norwalk for the first time, and. You know, I was a vol. I, I mean, I know now you run a much tighter ship. I'm just saying, that, yeah. like, my entryway into this was all mm-hmm. very circuitous. I was like mm-hmm. a Kepler student. I'd moved to Seattle and I moved to the U district and just happened to right. move into a place like down the street from your family's bookstore mm-hmm. where Greg was running it. And I think that was my initial mm-hmm. like entryway into then working the bookstore at Norwalk and volunteering. Yeah. So I was a little off the street, but not completely. <laughs> not completely. I didn't, I didn't have like huge experience as a room monitor. So let's say so I know. When the speaker was asking for something, I was like, Oh, am I supposed to do that? Or I don't know how to do that or something like that. And so he had some reason to be a little bit annoyed and brusque with me. Yeah, we now have more people in the room. There'll be an audio recorder who will just do audio. There'll be a person who will be handling the computer and the slides, getting that ready. And then there's somebody at the door looking at name tags and taking room counts and um, uh, yeah, taking room counts and then giving the the speakers the, the time card. Okay. So you've got so, a whole crew now. It's not yeah. just like one person. No, we have, we have, we will have three people per room. Two will be in there the whole time. And we'll tell the room monitors to make sure there's water at the podium for them. That's good. You know, those are, those things are nice. Uh, we can do that. But I think that with the exception of a few astrologers that I know, most of them are just freaked out and their anxiety gets the better of them and they right. snap. Sure. Right? 
And then there are those who have a chronic history that I've known of who tend to demean or treat the volunteers and those who are helping them as servant type Mm. energy. Yeah. Yeah. That was my experience, but you have been, that's something you're actually careful about. And if you hear, if really bad stuff goes down, like sometimes you've had to go to extremes of, you might not invite somebody back. I won't. Yeah. I won't. So being sort of somewhat not protective, but uh, I am protective. Yeah, protective I think protective. Right I'm also protective of my speakers. I'm protective, mm-hmm. you know, your attendees. I'm yeah. I'm a uh, yeah. yeah. I'm a mama bear when sure. it comes down to it. So. Yeah, and that's part of setting good boundaries and creating a good environment. And that's one of the reasons Norwex not just persisted as long as it has for 38 years, but why it has this reputation of being a great first conference experience because of the community and the ways that you've cultivated it over the years to be as best the best you know version of that conference as you can absolutely so <clears throat> i have an in, I actually create intentional space we actually open a circle at the beginning of the conference and then i energetically hold that space through the whole thing mm. right so there's this containment field that we engage in and then i energetically hold it mm-hmm. until it's released so it's, it's deliberately closed at the end. Yeah, and then it's deli- deliberately closed or rele- we release the circle at the end. Mm-hmm. But that is <clears throat> creating safe space. And we had, I believed on the previous podcast that I did on Neptune, we might have mentioned IAEA. I, we might have talked about it a bit, the International Association of Ethics and Astrology. Mm-hmm. Now, they took a document that Norwalk had, which was called Safer Space Document, and then they took a document that Tony Howard had worked on, and then it sort of morphed into an OPA document on speaker ethics, mm-hmm. right? So, <clears throat> we then IAEA took all those documents and put it into, coalesced it into, uh, and refined it into one document. Right. So each of the Norwex speakers have received that document. There's links in it on diversity, on all kinds of things, language that we use. Um, history is told by the conquerors, how you tell history, how you use history, whose charts you're using to be more mindful, imagery that you're using. Now, remember, if it's a virtual dynamic or it's being recorded by video, If you're using, as a speaker, an unauthorized copywritten image, and you do not have permission and do not show permission for using that, Mm -hmm. and it gets published through Vimeo or YouTube, they will pull it. Right. Or if you, like, use another astrologer's diagram in your lecture. Yep. Or music. Yeah. That's a tricky one because, like, there's some... Like, like I'm thinking like Tarnas who likes to do the music. Yes. Thing, but don't use copyrighted music basically because you're going to get Norwalk like sued or you're going to get sued. Yes. So it's, it's, the thing is, is that YouTube won't post it. Okay. They, everything gets screened. Vimeo does the same thing. Right. And so if you, um, yeah, so you want to, you want to be very careful. Uh, on the IAEA website, it's ethicalastrologers.org. There is a video put out by Chris. Ooh, Chris. Ooh, 
thinking of the AFA person, but that's not. No, he's out of England. Okay, Chris um, Mitchell. Yes, thank you. Yeah, all right, I'm good. All right, good. You're good. There's a short video on how to find images that are safe to use. Nice. Okay. And different websites and how to access them and do that. So, those of you burgeoning astrologers doing your PowerPoints. Be careful about the images you use. They have to be public domain, clearly have to be public domain, or you need to figure out how to access them in the legal way. Yes. And if you're going to borrow one from another professional yes. astrologer, it's a professional courtesy. Just write an email to that astrologer and ask them if you can. Absolutely. 99% of the time, they'll say yes. yes. I remember Melanie Reinhardt did that several years ago for some sect diagram that I had, and I really appreciated that she actually asked because mm -hmm. I've had the other experience as well where I had a famous astrologer use one of my diagrams in a lecture that I like, didn't agree with and it created a lot of community controversy and had to like call him out on that. So, you don't want to be on that side of it either. No. So, if you're going to – look, uh, let me start it this way. There isn't an astrologer currently living whose astrology happened out of nothing. Sure. We – our astrology is built on the work – that every other astrologer preceding us has done in some way, mm -hmm. right? So, there's rarely any truly original material. It happens. Astrocartography. Sure. Right? There's some original material that comes out. Having said that, if you're doing a lecture on perfections or a lecture on evolutionary astrology that's based on Jeffrey's work or it's based on Stephen Forrest's work, you need to acknowledge them. Mm. Sure. Right. Yeah. Acknowledge you need your to... teachers and sources as long as you, right. like, you don't want to go crazy with it in terms of like you get into the first issue again right. of the bringing out all the books that you right. read syndrome. Right. Right. Yeah. But don't take something from somebody's work and put it on your screen of your PowerPoint without saying where it came from. For sure. It's rude. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and it's immoral. Yeah. It's unethical. And and just yeah, copyright issues. And that's mm -hmm. just part of the broader conversation about ethics that I'm so glad is like happening now because yeah. you know, in the past, like 30 years ago, they didn't have ethical guidelines. Like none of the organizations had ethical no. guidelines. And it was just like the Wild West it in terms was. of the organizers having mm -hmm. to deal with stuff as it came up on the fly. And sometimes mm -hmm. you did have to do like um, you know, uh, justice type situations of of things where you had to make a judgment call and like oh we've done it you know just ban certain speakers mm -hmm. from conferences mm -hmm. or eject certain attendees or things mm -hmm. like that but now it's being codified so that it's much more clear like what the rules are and what the expectations are both for speakers and attendees right and the speakers have to agree to abide by the ethical standards as they're submitted okay right. And next year, I didn't get it in time for their speaker contract, uh, speaker's contracts that went out or their way to accept it. So next year, that will be built in. They have to read that. And then they have to acknowledge that they've read it and they accept it before, as part of their accepting the invitation to speak. This came in. The document was finished after the speakers were selected. Mm. right? So I sent it to them saying, please read this. We have adopted this as a code of ethics from IAEA. And so they've all agreed to that. IAEA, I hope, will be working on a, an attendee code of ethics. Mm, okay. All right. Not to hijack a lecture. Sure. Right. <laughs> right. How to 
enter and exit a room politely mm-hmm. if you should need to leave. Right. Right. There's how to engage with uh, a public speaker at a conference. What are power Im- imbalanced power dynamics and what are those like? And so speakers need to be aware of those as well. Mm-hmm. You may be a new speaker, but you're still in a position of power as a lecturer at Norwac. Mm-hmm. And you are a representative of your own business, your own brand, and Norwac's business and brand in everything you do within the confines of Norwac. So if you are doing something sketchy with attendees in some way or sketchy in some other way in a business practice, Mm -hmm. that reflects on your brand. It reflects on Norwac, which I take very seriously. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that has struck fear into the hearts of- It should. Yeah, it should. (laughs) One other thing I want to say is a big no-no. And I keep circling around in my brain, and that's, I think, the one I lost, and keep circling around again, so I'm back. And that is, do not make, and I'm going to say it, do not, do not make your lecture a sales pitch right. for a that's, product. That can be really true. A book. Because there's a delicate balance there between, is. you know, um, it's tricky because there's a there's. Extreme. I want you to market, but yeah. I don't want the lecture to be a market, right. a marketing an hour, uh, an hour and fifteen minutes of there was a there was a astrologer who had a book, uh, and the title of the book was the title of the lecture, mm-hmm. and the reports I got back and I listened to it later were true. Danced all around the topic and just said, "Keep buying my book. Buy the book. It'll tell you. Buy the right. book. Buy my book. Buy my book. Buy my book." Yeah, that's the worst case scenario version of that for an audience member, which is the person that opens exclusively talking for like 20 minutes about product or a retreat or a book or whatever that they're trying to sell and then like it's the lecture. But the, the lecture itself in the extreme version is almost like a footnote to mm-hmm. whatever this other thing is. Right. So I tell my speakers, of course you can tell them about your book. It should be at the end of your lecture. Right. Tell them about a book, an upcoming workshop, an upcoming lecture, an upcoming magazine article. Mm -hmm. Make it at the end. Yeah. Your lecture should be on what you've told me your lecture is going to be on. And should your lecture not meet those qualifications of what you have laid out that you will deliver, I will take that into consideration for future invitations. Mm -hmm. And there have been those who do not make it back to Norwalk. Sure. Because there's a process of... You give your first lecture, that's actually at Norwalk or, or any other conference, really. That's often, in some ways, in the long term, like an audition for it is. are you going to be invited back? To, did you give a good lecture? Mm-hmm. Was it promising? Or even if there were problems, was it good enough that there was clearly something there that it's clear that you're an astrologer that they would want to have back the next time and mm-hmm. maybe go from giving one lecture to two lectures or eventually in the long term going from two lectures to giving a workshop before or after the conference mm-hmm. or eventually go to giving like a keynote someday if you have a really good track record. Yeah. I mean, take a look at um, Diana Rose Harper. She actually started out as a volunteer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she then, I can't remember if she came in under the diversity scholarship for Norwalk. Then I invited her to lecture in our first virtual conference in 2020 
and her, it exploded for her. Mm. Just the popularity, the interest in her work just was, it was more than she could actually handle. Because she just gave like a really a lecture that knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so we had her back and now she's doing a workshop. And I've had... I think I actually invited her to the podcast after seeing that New Year's Norwalk lecture, actually. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Patricia Walsh came in. I didn't know her. She did a first-time lecture, rave reviews, invited her back. She ended up doing keynotes and workshops in a pretty short order. Mm -hmm. Same with Mark Jones, right? I didn't know how he was going to deliver. Right. And you have a funny story about meeting him. I don't know if you tell it normally. (laughs) Well, we met at an EA conference in South Dakota in the Black Hills. Okay. Yeah. And it was, uh, the the conference center was built on top of granite and quartz. Mm. And neither, for some reason, well, he wasn't sleeping and I wasn't sleeping. We found out that together where we were just so bleary eyed that, uh, his the story he told me that he was so tired he was just standing in the shower crying, okay. and I said that's how I felt because the the vibration was so high of all of that just sitting on a mountain of quartz and granite that it was that was overwhelming. And but I remember being taken with what he was doing, right? And then when he came to Norwalk and he was such a big hit, I told him that I'm just gonna. Dude, your star is rising, and we're going to ride that star until it flames out. That's just what we're going to do. Sure. And he was all for it, right? So you put it in that in that terms. I did. Flames out. You're you. Yeah. Yeah. I said I'm just going to. And the second time I said I'm just going to ride that horse until it quits. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty blunt. I'm pretty honest with people. You know, look, it's my business. I want to elevate people. I wanted him to do great, and as he did great, I did great. Yeah, and then he started literally like uh, somebody who was not super well known, and I don't yeah. know if he had books. No. Nope. Okay, and then he was just most of the past decade just like packing conference lectures mm-hmm. and, and workshops over the course of the past decade at, at every Norwalk. And I had to sell UWAC, the UWAC team, the presidents, they were the older generation, mm. on some of the younger, I said, He's killing it at Norwalk. Well, that's just Norwalk. It's just right. was like, oh, really? You're I, I'm just kept pushing for uh, uh, for Mark and Patricia and Jason Holly because they were killing it at Norwalk. They were drawing big crowds, mm-hmm. and so. That's really hard for the more established astrologers who sometimes don't know who the up and coming astrologers are because I think it happens to everybody, which is just once you've been in the field long enough, you're focusing on your own thing. And so you're primarily aware of just all the things you have to do and focus on. Mm-hmm. And whereas earlier in your studies, you're kind of taking in everything and you're reading everything and aware of what's going on a little bit more. So sometimes I'm sure that's been tough for you working with because you make an active point to pay attention to like who are the up and coming astrologers. Who are the up and coming astrologers? And then I have plenty of allies in the field who bring names to me. I think those people are spies. That's not, I think that's the <laughs> allies. Okay, allies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> They're allies to the astrological community and allies to me because they are out there in the social media sphere where I do not hang out. Mm-hmm. And so they're seeing things, they're watching things out there that I'm not aware of. So I trust their judgment. Mm-hmm. Therefore, whoever they bring to me, then I will 
go look at and decide for myself, but I have a lot of trust in those uh, allies who uh, let me know who's doing what. Where they've got a, a, you know, what's the what's the line? They got their finger in the pulse of what's happening out there. Okay, so your your eyes and ears extend beyond Norwalk. Yes, to they do. All outer reaches of the world. That's right. Okay, it's good for people <laughs> to know. You hear you hear what's going on. I do. Okay, I do. I make a point of hearing what's going on. Yeah, uh, the pulse of the astrological. Community. Yeah, I, I do. That's the good version yeah, of that. Phrase. I do, and and uh, a lot of the young, um, I there's a young woman who I've known since she was five years old. She's like a sister to. I, she's my daughter from another mother. Her name's Sydney, uh, Sydney Devereaux Bachma, um, and she'll be at Norwalk. She was a room. She was a host at the virtual conference last year, helping to run one of the rooms. Hmm. She's going to take a much more you know, a physical presence and bringing her in. And she spends a lot of time on social media. So she tells me what's going on as well. So I've got, okay. I've got my, my, my yeah. spidey senses out there into the world and connections uh, to what's going on. And then I just pay attention and then I look. That's good. So it's like the president receives that like daily briefing each morning. <laughs> like you've got the briefing on what happened on Astra Twitter. And- is doing and yeah well I, as norwak as it comes time for me to pick speakers i've got lots of people who are sending me things mm-hmm. right because that's something you can do that people should yeah. know about and they can go to the website and go to the contact page and there's information there on how to what to send and when to send right if you don't send under the right time frame if you send it too early it gets buried. Mm. If you send it too late, eh, it's too late. Yeah. Right. So Norwalk electional astrology. Right. So it's, and I get a lot of them and I will then run some of these names by those who I trust, my allies in the community and see what's happening. Or I'm just asking around and I can, right. I, I can see what's going on and who's got, who's, who's, who's rising. Right. Right. I don't want, I want depth of my speakers, right. And depth in their information, depth in what they're presenting. Uh, and that doesn't always happen, but I want to give people a shot. I really want you to know, even if you don't do well on your first one, doesn't mean I'm not going to invite you back. Right. I am testament to that. I I, I might release that lecture or recording <laughs> of it like buried in a vault somewhere, but just for like we have encourage it. people because I don't want also this discussion because we focus a lot on the negative things to only be like depressing or intimidating. No. Uh, but I might release that someday. Let me know people in the comments on YouTube if you would like to oh, see Oh, they're going to want to know. Okay. We'll see. It might be kind of brutal. I don't know if I want that out there. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Right. So look- I I have surveys that go out and I ask about each and every speaker mm-hmm. who killed it, who knocked their socks off, who hit it out of the park, whatever analogy I'm going to use. Right. And then who didn't. Sure. And then why. Right. And why. And if they still had potential, but just right. stumbled on something. Right. And I send those comments to the speakers. Mm, right. Sometimes it's really hard to read. I have to read my own comments. I don't get a choice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not like the other speakers. They're coming to me. I get the surveys. And there's, at times, some harsh criticism. Yeah. And I learn from it. I grow from it. It's not easy. Right? You, mm-hmm. Nobody wants to have to think that you blew it in some way or you did something wrong or you 
just failed in some way. So yeah. that's really funny because I just realized it's like the YouTube comments of astrology lectures, the lectures get basically after the lecture a few weeks later. And it can be like the YouTube comments. It can be pretty brutal. They can. Yeah. They can. Some speakers don't want, I used to say, do you guys want your, your, your comments? Right. And some would say no. You gave them the option. But I send them to them and tell them you can open these or you can delete them. Right. Okay. <laughs> so then it's on them. You've done your part. And you yes. Light the bomb and walk away. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's okay. it. That's it. <laughs> I like that. That's smart. I mean, that's what I would do. I would play it safe. Uh, yeah. I don't want to be in that blast radius when they read some of well, those comments. The thing is, is that if you are, it's okay to be hurt by it. It's okay to feel upset. Yeah. Okay. And go, I don't know what they're talking about. How could they blah, blah, blah. That's okay. Yeah. Give it a little space and go back and read it again. Well, and there's some that are valid, constructive things. Yes. Some that's just not. No, some of them are not. Right. Some of them are not. And if I can judge before I send it that it's just not a valid comment, mm -hmm. it's just somebody's ego, then yeah. I probably won't send it. Like, I didn't like this person's hair and that ruined right. the lecture for me. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So that's one you would filter out? <laughs> I would filter You'd think about it for out. a minute if they need to know that their hair's <laughs> their hair not. Is, yeah. It's distracting. That maybe for next year, they should switch that up a little bit. Uh, I have given harsh comments to, um, in person, you know, back in the day, we had the new speakers came from third year Kepler students okay. as well. Yeah. Right. And we didn't have online surveys. So we had these pieces of paper that we would give. Rolodex or yeah, something. <laughs> the piece of paper for okay. the survey. They'd have to actually take a pen and paper, okay. fill out the survey. And I remember giving those to one Kepler student who did not take them well. Okay. And, and they were they were pretty consistent in the comments mm. about what was wrong. Right. Right. And I'm I'm just the Capricorn harsh reality girl. Sure. You know, rip the band-aid off. Tell me now. And that was like in the beginning. You sucked. Here's why you sucked. Right. Right? Some so, people that take criticism better or worse. And that right. can be an own thing to wrestle with mm -hmm. how to deal with that. Right. And some of the comments that people get are just they are ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you have to take, you have to take them with a grain of salt. But once you get past the anger, upset, whatever it might be that the emotion is after reading them and may very well be valid mm -hmm. in your experience of it, go back and take a look at it and ask yourself, is there something that I can take from this? Right. Now, I send them all their good comments, too, by the way. Okay. Yeah. They were right. fantastic. It was the best lecture I've ever heard in my life. Right. I send they, all of it. So I'd not Great hair. Yeah. Yeah. Great hair, the you know they were really funny. Right, whatever it might be, all all the comments go, and the lion's share of them are positive. Sprinkled in there are those little you know, owies. Right, that can be, you know, and so it's it's just a matter of being able to assess it objectively. Hmm. Is this something I can learn from? Right? Is this right. something for me? If not, check it out. Move on. Yeah. It's somebody's opinion. Yeah. Do not seek revenge necessarily on that. <laughs> that one commenter, no matter how strong the urge. Just analyze yes. that. Okay. Yes. Good good advice. Yes. <laughs> um 
I feel like there's a lot else there. Um, I know we've been going for about two hours, so I'm trying to think if, if there's any other areas. Not that I'm in a hurry to wrap this up. I'm not sure how you're, you're feeling, but are there I'm major fine. ones I'm fine too uh, that we haven't touched on yet? Are there any like really good things? Because maybe we've focused so much on things not to do, which is fine and constructive. Well, we've I talked about some things to do. Mm-hmm. Right? Make sure that you're up and open, right? Mm-hmm. It's hard. You know, you've hand you've, movements. Good. You do yep. a lot of hand movements. I do a lot of hand movements, mm-hmm. right? I think those are good. Yeah. Right. It conveys some energy. You can move your shoulders. You can do some things that yeah. convey some energy that can move the energy out into the room. Mm-hmm. Right? Sure. And so the key here is to <laughs> hopefully make it as natural as possible. Right. So that there isn't a visual that you're seeing the person think about, now I have to move my hands. Yeah, right. And then I should, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That would be me if I was trying to do that too much. It would just be way too overdoing it, uh, forcing it. Uh, But yeah, you also don't want to be doing like backflips or something like that. No, definitely not. No backflips. Right. So it needs to be natural. It needs to feel natural. Mm -hmm. Right. But just because you're giving, in a lot of cases... They're academic lectures. Not all of them are academic. Some of them are, you know, uh, um, showing a technique in a way. And then some of them are interesting lectures, Mm -hmm. interesting oddities about astrology or a way to use astrology. But there are some that are highly intellectual, academic kind of presentations and that sort of thing. And that can be presented in a more serious way, although it doesn't have to be. I mean, Rob Hand cracked jokes. Sure. In Rob Hand's way. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Rob Hand type and you see yourself as a Rob Hand type, get some Rob Hand lectures and listen. Yeah. Um, Bullet point about, or footnote about that I wanted to make because I'm realizing because Rob hasn't been lecturing for a few years, that reference is starting to be like, you know, reference of like a 70s like song or something. Like, who is the next person that's relatable in that way that everybody knows that's a lecturer? Like, is there? Because I don't know if there is. Well, there's Rick Levine, but that's of that generation as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got, oh, gosh, there's so many of them. There's a lot. There's Jason Hawley who likes to tell stories, wrap it up in myth and be funny. Uh, The point is just that there's different styles. There's different styles. Mark Jones is soft-spoken. And uh, a bit serious in his delivery. Right. There's and, Richard Tarnas. Right. Richard Tarnas, who is uh, soft-spoken and academic and fascinating. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can be soft-spoken like you and keep me just like at the edge of my seat, mm-hmm. that's a cool thing to do. Sure. Requires no fireworks. Yeah. Like he's not up there like cracking jokes and like, no. like that, but it's still, there, so there's different ways you can do an engaging lecture that can be different styles and to mm-hmm. find your own style and what that is exactly. Yes. Find your own style. I loved watching and listening to Jeff Jower. Mm-hmm. I could watch and listen to him. Uh, there was a woman by the name of Diana Stone out of the uh, Portland, Vancouver area in Washington who came to Norwalk each year and did a keynote. Freaking hilarious. It didn't even have to be about astrology and she would wrap astrology into it and we'd all be nearly falling off our chairs laughing. Hmm. And then there's, like I said, Rob Han or Lynn Bell. Lynn Bell delivers a keynote that's engaging, uh, that gives lots of visual imagery and, and um, myth 
Yeah. Uh, uh, Kelly Surtees started doing keynotes a few mm-hmm. years ago, and I remember the last Norwalk I saw seeing her give, seeing one of my friends who I've seen like come up and give a, a lecture to a packed ballroom of like four or 500 people and just being really proud of her that she knocked it out of the park. And I think she's doing a keynote at this one again. She is. She did her very first keynote at Norwalk, and she was scared out of her brain. Right. She made her way through that. And then I asked her to do a second one. Nice. And then, because I knew she was going to get better and better and better. And I can, I can see where talent is going. Right. That's my talent. That's my, after being in this business as long as I have, one of my talents is being able to see talent. Mm. Even before it's really been truly fleshed out and actualized. Yeah. And I'm thinking of another style and another one like that. It's really funny where early on 10-ish, 12 years ago, there was this time. One of the things that's annoying in terms of picking things as a speaker is sometimes you have new friends. And so when I was still a younger astrologer 10, 12 years ago, there were three of my friends that were all giving their first talks at Norwalk all at the same time. And that's rough because you got to like, you know, choosing which of your children. Right. Because we would often put, we don't do that anymore. Mm. We would choose one time spot to put all the new speakers in. So they weren't up against Stephen Forrest or Lynn Bell or. Which sucks really bad. Right. And then you have that, right? right? So now we don't do that. Okay. And so we put the, the, untested. I'm going to now just call them the un, untested at Norwalk speakers, mm. right? Because they could be out there in, like I said, social media world doing stuff. right? And they may not be a first time lecturer for another conference, mm-hmm. but more untested, I should say, because new speakers come into Norwalk and I'll give them two lectures because they have proven themselves someplace else. Sure. But an untested speaker comes in and they're they're going to end up in the small room. Yeah, yeah. Right. I remember my three friends all be relegated to the three smaller rooms. But mm-hmm. what's funny about it now and why I brought it up is my friends were Laura Machetti from Kepler College, yep. who now recently got her PhD, I think from Pacifica studying astrology, Austin Kopic. It was mm-hmm. his first lecture. And I think the third one I want to see was, was it Andrea Gertz? But there, mm-hmm. there was one other. Yep who was doing it all at the same time. And so this was my brilliant strategy was to like tell them all ahead of time, I'm going to sit in your lecture for about a third of it. And then I'm going to go to this other friend's lecture. That's how I I, uh, figured that one out. Yeah. But now this year, and that was Austin's first lecture at Norwalk on, on something I forget at this point, but now, you know, this year he's built it up and he's sold out an entire pre-conference workshop at Norwalk. As yes, well he as, has. What, two two lectures, I'm guessing? He's doing two lectures and the workshop. Okay. So the workshop uh, holds 150 people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's sold out or will be sold out by the time this probably hits an airing. Right. And so, you know, he's in a big enough room for his breakout where, you know, they should be able to fit. Yeah. And, and I mean, he, but he's not, he's not up again. I mean, he'll, he'll also be lecturing against other well-known speakers. Right. And the competition between mm-hmm. them. So, and, and different genres. Exactly. And that's why I actually mentioned that just because it made me think of another, you know, Austin has his own style and, you know, metaphors, somewhat, sometimes dark metaphors. There is a place for like everybody in the community. Yes, there is. Yeah. For okay. sure. For sure. So I, it's, I have this uh, big poster board 
uh, that you would use, not poster board. It's like the kind of board you would use for in a science fair. Okay. Yeah, it's like that trifold yeah. thing. So I right. cut off the wings because I don't want the wings. And so I put the I put a built a graph on it for all the each day the lectures and the time slots, and then I built the little blocks to be the size of the smallest. Um, what are those called? They sticky. Oh, like a pin board? Pin? No, it's the paper you pull oh, up. It. No. Thank you. It's having a blank there. Sure. So the small square post-it notes. Mm. And then I put the lectures on those. And then I can move them around. And then I sit with them for a few days, go back and look and see if I've got anybody competing in topic, you know, oh, or man. competing in genre. I love that. That that delicate, delicate balance that you have to deal with every year of the it's like a science, but an art of speaker placement and mm -hmm. who goes in what room, mm -hmm. which speakers go up against each other, mm -hmm. which ones go in the morning versus like the afternoon. afternoon. There's like a million different things and all of that, like none of that, that needs to be written in a book because in and of itself could probably fit like a tome of how to do it's that It's a process. delicate dance. And when we did it for UAC, uh, we went to Chicago and I had made these big, huge, <laughs> and we put them all across the window right, and I can had everything, you know, and we're running. It was a whole team because we had to look and make sure we weren't putting somebody on the same day twice and, mm. you know, looking how at the balance. How many speakers was UAC? Uh, 120. Jesus. Okay. And, you know, you had 15 lectures going on at once. Same time. And, and there's the, four of those a day. Yes. For blocks of yes. those. And then there's also like workshops and yes. also keynote lectures yeah. that are in front of everyone. Mm -hmm. So what are some of those things that come into account when you're trying to like place speakers? Well, first of all, uh, I've had I've used multiple techniques over the years. So for instance, if somebody has a keynote and two lectures, which I don't do as much anymore, so they have something to do each day, mm -hmm. I put them on the schedule first so I don't end up because it's happened where they, I inadvertently put them on the same day. I wasn't paying close enough attention. I catch it eventually Okay. when I do a number of reviews of the board because I'll put it away then take it back out, look at it again, look at it carefully. Because you don't want to have them do like a lecture, a full lecture, and then immediately after that yeah. have to do a keynote lecture because right. it's too much. This year that is happening with Kira um, Sutherland because we had a cancellation and she stepped in and I said, do you want me to change this or drop this? And she said, no, I'll do both of them. I can do both. Okay. And I said, okay. Showing off. Like, yeah. Okay. okay. We'll yeah. see how that does. So now where we have a lot of new astrologers and I have the rooms labeled where they're supposed to be, that I'll put the new astrologers in their rooms Look at the combination. Again, you have to count in, what is their lecture topic? Is it traditional? How much traditional do I have in that particular block, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, breakout session? Is it a variety enough, even if it's traditional, that you know the traditional folks aren't going to scream too much that I put two of them at the same time? Right. But I try to get a variety of techniques. I try to get a variety of astrologers, modern, psychological, mm -hmm. uh, Evolutionary astrology, which is a modern type, traditional and in within traditional, traditional magical, Hellenistic, medieval. You've got different genres there. Which then is you funny because that's like a new thing that you've had to figure out how to incorporate over the past 10, yes. 20 years. It's, yes. it's become more popular. Yes. And it was interesting seeing organizers of other conferences like you struggle with that initially and there not being a place for that approach. And I'm sure there's been different. Esar did it. 
ESA. ESA did it this time. They don't have a track for what for they wanted to do is invite a lot of traditional astrologers. So they have topic categories, mm. right? And so you can have, um, let's say you're doing a lecture, you're a traditional astrologer doing a lecture on relationships. So it's in the relationship category, but it's also tacked to, they don't have a traditional category. It's mm. kind of lumped with traditional and other techniques, which kind of surprised me. Yeah. Well, but, even UAC, 2018, I think, was the first time they had a track des dedicated to traditional that was yeah. all lectures on that. Because I think 2012, traditional was still grouped with yes. history track. Yes, it was. So it was like all of the traditional technique ones had mm -hmm. to be grouped with. I think Nick Campion was running that track and all of the just purely history of astrology lectures, which is the traditional or usual UAC track that they've had for years. Right. So there's probably just different versions of that that will happen at different points in the history of astrology where something emerges and the the call for it among attendees or, or students is part of what leads to... Right, and I pay attention to that. That's mm -hmm. what I pay attention to. I, I pay attention to what is happening, where the, where is the movement going, where is the tide going? And then I want to make sure that I also pay attention to and give space for those topics that may not be that. I want to make sure there's a cross-section. And you're getting a lot more people who are doing fusion types. Right. Right. Yeah. So they're doing hybrids of traditional and EA, like Jason Hawley. Mm -hmm. He's been studying with Demetra George. So he's taking Hellenistic and merging it with uh, evolutionary astrology and mythology. Mm -hmm. Right. And there are other young astrologers who are doing fusion types. And so if you look on, <clears throat> I think I may have it under the schedule in Norwalk, I may actually have their genre listed, but it'll definitely be in the program guide. Mm. Because as they submit their lecture, I ask them to tell me, what is it? Right. right. Yeah. And, and that will be hard at some point because it's, while there's some people that do purely practice like one school or approach to astrology, there's also like with tra the traditional thing, people that are merging mm -hmm. modern and traditional. And mm -hmm. so then you have an additional challenge as a organizer of like, where do I put them? Right. And I, for me, what I just say is label it for you. Yeah. Just tell everybody what it is. Okay. So they can choose it. So they're not left guessing as to what it is you're doing. Mm -hmm. And so I, the surveys that the attendees fill out are very important to me mm -hmm. because that helps me also when I say name five astrologers that weren't haven't been to astrology in the last couple of years, who'd you like to see? Mm -hmm. Right. And so I start looking at those numbers. Who would you like to have back? Right. So I do a mathematical calculation based on the number of hits somebody gets in the survey to see who's coming back and who I might push off to another year and who do I want to bring in, right? right? And then I look at those comments, right? So, so there's like an uptick in like right. hearing a name of, of attendees asking for somebody that you either haven't heard right. of or that suddenly gained popularity right. that you may not know, but you're seeing it in the feedback. Exactly. <clears throat> but what I also take into account is some... Over the years, they said it would be really helpful if you could tell me whether it's a beginner, an intermediate, and advanced, which we've done for years. Mm -hmm. But recently, it came up. It was just in the last survey. Somebody said it would be really helpful. In fact, it was more than one, but I thought it was a good idea to let us know what genre of astrology it is. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Where is this person coming from? Because not, not all the bios are very clear. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Maybe I need to add that. And when I ask for bios to make sure that they clearly delineate 
what type of astrology they practice. Yeah, I mean, you can try. It's just it's so hard because it is becoming so mixed together. Because yeah. astrologers have a tendency to synthesize their mm -hmm. different approaches, and there are definitely some people. Like I'm amazed by just remarking how many people identify as like a Hellenistic astrologers at this point, like young, young up and coming astrologers, which I find some is cool, but is funny because I myself like don't put that in my bio. I say I don't identify as a Hellenistic astrologer because I use the outer planets and mix Hellenistic and modern astrology, right. even though I am on paper as the author of that book, I'm the Hellenistic guy, and that's the primary thing that I lecture on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I get it. So. It is difficult, but in terms of delivering the lecture, yeah, I might somebody might say it's psychological traditional or traditional psychological. Fine, that's what I'm going to put down. Right. It at least gives the audience a clue mm. in helping them determine where they want to go for that lecture, and right. may may may. Uh, what's the word I want? It may lessen the migration process that happens. Yeah. Right? So somebody sitting in a lecture going, oh, that's not what I thought that was. Right. That's really funny because you're usually at the registration desk, which is centered in the middle of the NORAC hotel. So you see those. It's funny that you call it migration, but that's exactly what it would look like. It's just like birds like flying from one, yes. one room mm -hmm. to another relatively early on or and sometimes during the course of the lectures. Yes. Yeah. Now, over the virtual conference, it's super easy to leave a room and go to another one. Yeah. Right? That You're not- jarring for some people that they can't do that as easily going to the in-person conference at the first oh, yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I get a lot of attendees, first-time attendees who ask me questions like, <clears throat> do I have to sign up for the lectures ahead of time? And I'm just like, no. You come and you choose. Mm. Right? And if at the last second you decide to go someplace else, you can. Right. That's it's, so funny. It's, okay. it's free will. Right, in action. But then people are like, well, no, I don't want free will. I want it to be predetermined. Tell me what lectures to go to. You know. I get a lot of people coming up to me going, well, which one should I choose? Right. Yeah, that's really... I chose all of these people because they're good. Yeah. And I chose the lectures because I like them. And that's literally what so you do when you get to the conference and even before is like outline like what lectures put on a list and like check marks in your... You know, schedule of what lectures you would like to attend, probably going into the conference. Mm -hmm. Be prepared to alter that because sometimes things can happen at a conference where you decide to change your mind at the last minute and go to one lecture rather than another. You're sitting next to somebody and you're sparking up a conversation with them, and they tell you, Oh my God, I heard so and so, blah, blah, blah. Right. And you're like, Okay, well, I'll go to that one. Yeah. You'll go and to so that. you bail on the one you were going to go to. Right. And then that ends up being a brilliant lecture sure. and then you like decide to study with that person and you know emulate their approach and then you become a famous astrologer you know <laughs> learning that approach um, just from that one mm -hmm. offhand remark that it some friend happen. said you could uh, you should attend this lecture yep yeah so that's part of the brilliance of attending a conference in person there's probably all sorts of little things like that that we can't even fully articulate cuz you just have to experience it by like going and having that experience um, in person at one of these things right so, what, some of the other do's that I would say is Norwek is not overly formal, but no I would say tuxedo yeah, requirement yeah. anymore. No, not a suit and tie okay. for giving a lecture yeah. unless that is your mode. Sure, you know, which is fine. Philip Sedgwick always dressed in a suit and tie. I used to dress up a little bit more than I do. I don't know. <laughs> 
And I, as the conference host, mm-hmm. uh, I'm always dressed business casual and sometimes a little bit more. For, I always dress up for the evenings. And when I lecture at UAC or other conferences, I dress nicer than I, I'm not, I don't come in in jeans and a t-shirt, which I love to wear as a general rule. That's what I, that's how I dress. Mm-hmm. Except when I'm giving a lecture, teaching a class, whatever, then I'm setting myself up to be, I don't want this to come across as old school professional, but there is a professionalism sure. that I do encourage. I just don't want it overly stuffy and formal in that sense. I want people to be themselves because as long as they are themselves, they're delivering the information more naturally. Mm-hmm. So I don't yeah, exactly. I don't want somebody to be outside of their comfort zone, but I also don't want a speaker showing up in their bare feet and Okay. No, yeah. I that's, mean, no speedos, like giving lectures. Yeah. Without an obje- objectionable offense that you would uh, re- not reject, but uh, um, you know, send somebody out of the conference if that. No. Was, okay. No, no, no. I, and 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 the thing is, Wait, is everything sure? Like, I don't yes, want I am. The floodgates no. for speedo. No, I wouldn't. No. Oh, for speedo, yeah. probably yes. Yeah, uh, speedo is just an out and out offense in any scenario. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. Uh, I'm going to withhold judgment on that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I did Maurice Fernandez's uh, River of Stars conference twice in Hawaii. And the conference center, you can't wear your shoes inside. Sure. Right. right so you're barefoot. Yeah. Delivering a lecture. Were they, were they wearing bathing suits? No. Also, or no? Uh, okay. no. I always imagine that one was like on the beach or something because I never. No, it wasn't on the beach at all. It was up in a, uh, uh, it was on the main island, the big island. On the wet side, is that the no? Anyway, okay. Well, that sounds so, less cool than I imagined. And but. so it wasn't on the beach, yeah. but it was in a beautiful convention center, and you took off your shoes, and people sat on the floor, and, mm. or had these little things that folded out that you would sit on and kind of support your back. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they were. That's cool. anyway. So certainly much more casual environment, mm-hmm. and I've lectured at EA at more casual EA conferences. And again, some of those convention centers or conference centers or retreat centers didn't allow you to wear shoes in the room, mm, attendees okay. or speakers. Sure. Right. So those are things you take into account, but- What the context is of the hotel setting. Sure. But, but for like a Norwax, something sure. that's a shoe Sure. Event. Sure. I just, uh, I don't want to be a stuffy Capricorn and that's not what I want to come across. And I just want you to be natural. However- I, I probably would prefer sure. shoes and a sh- shirt. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop <laughs> making the jokes because it's a really important point because it's something I actually also learned during my trajectory, which is like early on, I think I thought I needed to dress up more, even though that wasn't my natural mode of things. And so mm-hmm. I was like wearing a jacket and like no. not a tie, but like a button up shirt. But then I was like, oh, I remember I'm not going to tuck it in because that'll be my one act of rebellion or something. <laughs> And I just looked really goofy, I think, now in retrospect. But I sort It of, didn't look natural. Yeah, it didn't look natural because that's not what I normally wore and I wasn't used to it. And it also wearing a jacket while you're lecturing can oh, make you sweat. really hot. You're already yes. like talking and moving around yes. and like you're nervous and there's been all this pressure and everything else. And as I got more comfortable as a lecturer, just like started wearing more 
what I felt comfortable with, which is sometimes like a, just a polo shirt or, or whatever. And as a I lecturer, I wear, yeah, I wear sleeveless shirts. Okay. You know, it's like a dress or a top that's sleeveless because mm -hmm. I'm moving, you're sweating. You know, I carry a cardigan with me. The hotel is cold. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this goes back to another point I kept forgetting about, you know, those of you who attend conferences and complain that the lecture rooms are cold, mm. can you imagine if they were warmer? For the speaker. For the speaker and for the attendees. You're sitting in a warm room. Yeah. You're hearing talking and you're just kind of... Because they also, if they get packed, they heat up pretty quick they with all of that do. body heat. So... Those of you who are listening to this coming to Norwalk, bring a sweater or a lap blanket or something to keep you warm until the room warms up. But yeah. we're not going to raise the temperature because when all the bodies get in there, it is too hot. Yeah, that's great advice. And it also just keeps you awake mm -hmm. for all the lectures you have to listen to. Right. So you're not snoozing in the middle of... Uh, yeah, really good lecture. I don't want it. it. Sometimes the air conditioning can turn on and it blows cold air on top of you. I get mm, that. Sure. We do want to know if that's happening. That's funny. That's that's just a funny additional thing I, I hadn't thought of, but I do know people that have said things like there are people that run cold that have been cold, but they've started bringing extra clothes just in case they yeah. need to. Yeah. At conferences, you do need to bring uh, a sweater, you know, a cardigan. I've seen people bring lap blankets that they just tuck in their bags and then mm. pull out and, you know, to stay to stay warm. Because if you're cold, you're you're also distracted by just being cold. You can't hear what's going on as well. Mm. So either of those extremes. And they're hard to come by to get always right, meaning the balance of everything in every room just right. Right. Because you don't know how many people are going to be in the room at any given moment. Mm-hmm. And this certainly, yeah. so it's just one of those things that we try to do the best we can. Yeah. And so any room, so that's one of the things to circle back to what we were talking about was competition and understanding the competition as a speaker that you're going to be up against, where sometimes there are going to be bigger speakers in the same time slot mm -hmm. as you, or somebody's going to draw for some reason, or in some instances, you're going to draw more people for some reason. And that's, you know, kind of a wild card factor that you can never control. True. Because- Look, sometimes it's purely a topic. Right. Sometimes it's purely the speaker, no matter what they are, if they're just reading the phone book. Right. Yes, there used to be phone books. <laughs> if they were reading the phone book, it would draw a packed crowd. Right. Right. Everybody and so, knows. and sometimes it's a combination. Hmm. Right. So the the topic really can determine if it's a really hot topic. Um than like astrology and magic, you know, really could draw even though you may not be well known. Mm. And in this, you know, day and age where traditional astrology has been more developed and talked about, it's not, though people are really excited about that topic, in this time frame, I would say it's the lecturer delivering it that draws more than just a topic on perfections. Mm. Because so many people have talked about them, or they've talked about other elements of traditional astrology, mm -hmm. right? And so, I think now it can be more leaning and skewing toward the speaker who's delivering it. 
Okay. But that shouldn't daunt you if you're a new speaker. If that's, I want you folks to lecture on things that you're comfortable knowing. Mm-hmm. Your first lecture should be something you know well. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a delicate balance, though. Isn't it? Choosing between a topic that you know will draw an audience or is more likely to draw an audience and wanting to do that, but also something that you are passionate about and finding the middle ground between those two. It is. It is. But for a first-time lecture, Mm -hmm. I would always skew towards something you're comfortable with. I'd rather have you deliver a great lecture to a few people than deliver a bomb lecture, Mm -hmm. having it bomb, to a larger crowd. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, for example, I mean, like relationship astrology, I think if my perception is correct, is always a draw, right? It's not always a draw. It's really weird. You always think, oh, everybody wants to know about relationships. But Mm. it's kind of, we have a lot of it this year at Norwalk. I always let things kind of organically evolve to see what comes in. And then, you know, the sort of the tone of the conference gets picked up from what speakers submit and what I select. Sure. So, there's quite a, I think there's a bet on relationships. And you'd think a lot of people, but I think, again, depends on who's delivering it, too. Yeah. I don't think relationship always draws just because. Sure. However, coming back to this first-time lecturer or being a relative first-time lecturer, I still will encourage any of you to stick with something you have a familiarity with or if you're going to lecture something, you gain familiarity with it. Hmm. So if somebody throws a curveball at you, question, you aren't left going, uh. Right. Sure. Right. You want enough comfortability and familiarity with it so when somebody asks you something deeper or more detailed, you can deliver it hmm. if you have time to deliver it. And also, do not be afraid to say you don't know something. If it's outside your genre, right? do not make something up yeah. or stumble around trying to give them an answer you can't deliver. Mm-hmm. Be honest and forthright. That's not within my wheelhouse. That's not within my genre. Yeah. You know what? I don't know the answer to that question. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't answer that concisely right now or whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. These are things that we need to practice to do, sure. learning how to manage the room, manage those questions when they happen, feeling okay mm-hmm. with being, of not having all the answers right? and not having to deliver every last ounce of information that you've got in your brain. Yeah. And still being able to stand up there and, and speak authoritatively mm-hmm. on the things that you do know, which is mm-hmm. what's most important. Mm-hmm. Cause that actually circles around to something you said at the very beginning that would be a good thing to come back with, which is something I sometimes find annoying. And there's a very, um, ambiguous line about it that's easy to to go on either side of it but um self-deprecation i've noticed some people especially newer speakers can have a tendency to get up there and um be like i don't know what i'm doing here i don't know why i'm speaking on this topic or something like that that's kind of oh please don't do that yeah Yeah, please don't do that that's one of my like number one things because i always remember it when i get to conferences and i see people doing it don't self-deprecate at the very beginning of your lecture because that doesn't set you up at, in a good way with the audience, even though I understand the impulse and it's coming from a good place and et cetera. It's defense. Sure. It's defense. In case you do bomb, you've already told them, I don't know why I'm here. Right. But you've set yourself up in that scenario. It's yeah, not exactly. It's not a good representation of you and it's not a good representation of Norwalk. 
anybody audience is like, well, yeah. then why am I here? And why am I here? And exactly. should I leave if mm-hmm. you're not a good person to be sitting mm-hmm. in this lecture and dedicating this 75 minutes of my time of mm-hmm. my life that I will never get back? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So don't do that. Don't. Okay. That, is a, that, is, that is a good cardinal don't. Yeah. And it also brings up, you know, one of those cliche things, but it's actually true, which is the, and I don't emphasize it too much, but the, the fake it to you make it thing when it comes to confidence, not when it comes to information or pretending, no, you know, correct. something that you don't, but when it comes to confidence and the confidence yes. it takes to get up there and present in yes. front of a room full of people, it is one of those things that very, very few people go into that ever, that experience initially when they first start doing it with 100% confidence. Right. Everybody's nervous. Everybody you know, gets a little bit scared or what have you mm-hmm. and feels that at the beginning. But if you just get up there and force yourself to do it, it's something that you will learn. And once you get more practice, you'll become more comfortable with. Absolutely. So I agree with your premise 100%. Do not fake your astrology information. If you don't know the answer, don't you don't know the answer. Mm -hmm. Right? Again, what will reflect on you in the long run by just owning up and saying honestly and forthrightly, that's integrity. That carries. Right. Right? When you try to deliver information that is not correct or will be found out to be correct when you've delivered it because you were just trying to make somebody happy. Right. That will reflect on you in the long run. And yeah. not well. If somebody was like, was George Washington like a Virgo? And you're like, yes. And then afterwards, yeah. Google it and they're like, no, it wasn't. Was anything they said true? Right. Yeah. So when it comes to that place of confidence, ability, yes, just get up there and do it. So con- so confidence is the one area where it's okay to fake it yes. until you make it? Yes, absolutely. Okay. And that's actually right. important because it- right will give people confidence in you at the beginning, mm-hmm. even because internally, even if you feel that, that's not necessarily as noticeable to the audience as it is to you. Right. And just take some deep breaths. Mm-hmm. Oxygen in is good, right? Slow right. the heart rate. Take some more breaths in. Mm-hmm. Introduce yourself. Hi. Right. I'm Lauren Albandian. Today I'm going to lecture on Polarity points, mm-hmm. right? Welcome to Norwalk 2022. I'm Lauren Albandian. My lecture today is such and such. Right. Right. So you introduce yourself. You say hi to the crowd. How are you guys doing today? Right. Mm-hmm. How are you folks doing? We, we're really trying to work our way out of um, gender-specific pronouns. Yeah, and I struggle with that. And I probably messed that up several times in this very conversation. So and we will. We've got a lot of years living our lives the way we have with conditioning the way we've had it. And we are going to mess up. And we don't want to, but that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So in the ethics document, we have laid out certain ways to Use non-gender specific introductions or salutations, mm-hmm. folks, everyone. Yeah. You know anything that don't you know avoid, ladies and gentlemen, um, whatever gender identification to the folks in the room that might have been an old traditional way of doing things. Yeah, I struggle with it because for years, for some reason, it became trendy on YouTube to open like every video that people made with like 
hey guys, such and such. And that was uh, like an introduction to the audience mm-hmm. that different men and women and different people would make. Um, but yeah, it's something that because it's actually, it's not like guys, for example, it's not gender neutral. Is it is not. Yeah, it's not a great one to have as a habit. It isn't. What I love is my mother was from the South. And so for years, and then I broke myself up because I thought it sounded false. But I grew up saying y'all. Right, yeah. And you all is gender neutral. Mm-hmm. How y'all doing today? Yeah, y'all folks, which you've used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's lovely to see all of you here. Mm-hmm. Thanks for coming. That's a good one. Yeah. there's You, you can practice these, mm-hmm. right? Thinking about how to, to set the tone for your lecture and then give your lecture. Right. And even if it is, this one's a little bit more ambiguous, but even if it is your first time giving a lecture or even if you're nervous or whatever, like you don't necessarily have to say that or have to articulate. You, you can, but there are some things that I think are f- subsets of the don't self-deprecate thing that are variations of it that you can do okay, but you don't necessarily have to say that or articulate. Like? Like just saying, I've never given an astrology oh, lecture okay. before. This is my first lecture or something like that. Because on the one That's hand, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to tell you don't harp on say it. that because right. you do want to like mark the occasion and it's a big deal to give your and first lecture. Sometimes people will give you an extra round of pro- above applause for right. that and they'll be extra supportive. Mm-hmm. So letting them know it's your first time lecture or even your first time lecture at Norwalk. Mm-hmm. That's a way of sort of setting the the tone of the lecture, being a little bit more friendly, you know, can break down some of the nerves a little bit before you launch into your lecture. Yeah, as well as maybe managing audience expectations, mm-hmm. which is a lot of what we've been talking about is mm-hmm. just man- managing and setting good expectations from the audience on the part of what you're actually going to offer in the same way that astrologers have to learn setting client expectations right. in a consultation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think we've covered. I'll probably think of something later. Yeah. Is there anything else from your? Yeah. If you again, even in the presentation, if you're going to put a quote, even if it's from a song, a poem, a book, please, please put who the quote comes from. Attribute it. Okay. Attribute. 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 Don't like try to take credit for a famous mm-hmm. like. Um, Fiona Apple lyric or something and say, mm-hmm. like, I, I wrote that. Right. And then, uh, you know, sometimes you find things on the images on the internet. Like I was, I did a lecture on fear, mm-hmm. Saturn and fear, the mass and uh, mastering fear or something like that. And there were some great images on the internet that were open source and, you know, I didn't create them. Mm. So you can also unno- say unidentified, uh, unknown source. There, there are things that you can do to at least, you know, try not to take credit for creating something. Yeah, but or just buy a stock photo. You can buy stock photos. You can yeah. get subscriptions to them, right? Or, That's a good thing to, oh, I got to adjust my PowerPoint for. Yeah. So I was trying to think of budget items, you know, things like Canva and all that. And so sure. uh, stock photo. Yeah, there's tons of stock photo sites where you for a mm-hmm. few dollars or five or ten, and mm-hmm. you can just pay, and then you know you have the license to yep. use that in your presentation. You have, mm-hmm. That's like safest thing. That does create a financial 
barrier, but then there are also um, open source ones, there like are you open said, source. and different versions of that that are also safe. So just be deliberate about you know your image use and where you're getting it from. That's mm -hmm. good ethical practice. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Well, um, this is pretty good. I think we covered a ton of ground here today, and. Um, yeah, so thanks a lot for doing this with me. And now you are, we're like T minus like one month to, to Norwalk into the first in-person conference in three years. Yes, it is. What is today? The 25th? Something like that. Yeah. And it's, it, it is T minus one month. Wow. Okay. I'll be at the hotel on the 25th, possibly the 24th. That's a Wednesday. I can't remember. It is the 25th. So yeah, yeah you're going to have your own nerves going into it. Yes. Sold out conference. It's going to be amazing. There's so many newer and younger astrologers that have come in from, and not just younger, but from every age level, just like huge Absolutely. Influx. influx. Yeah. And, and selling out is something that's only really started happening even before the pandemic in the past several years, right? Well, it was only 2019. Whoa. Okay. That was, that was the first, the first time. time we sold out. Okay. I mean, starting in 1984, we'd never sold out. And We'd had good sized conferences, but never sold the venue out. Right. And that was the first time we did the um, podcast live uh, thing with Austin and Kelly at that one, I think, because we had done UAC yep. in 2018 and then mm -hmm. we did one there. Um, yeah, that was a great conference, 2019. Before, yeah. Before, before that. Right. And 2018 was up against UAC. Mm -hmm. So it was earlier and it always has a smaller attendance because everybody's saving up their pennies and quarters and dollars to get to the big conference, to get the big show. Yeah. So most people need to pick if there's like two or three conferences, like one to go to and, and you as an organizer, when there's another bigger conference that you're competing with, know that that's going to draw attendees away. Yep. And so we plan accordingly. Mm, okay. Definitely. Cool. What's the capacity for the ISAR conference this year in August? I don't know if you can talk actual official numbers, but... I think you generally base, first of all, you you base your capacity ultimately for, for Norwalk, how I do it, is base it on the biggest room, meaning that everybody's going to come together because Norwalk has eight keynotes. Mm -hmm. So everybody's coming back to that room eight different times. So my max is dependent on that. Okay, because you need to have every single person that attends the conference be able to be in that room yes. for the singular yes. plen plenary format. Plenary format. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, ESAR doesn't have that. Have what? Doesn't have these plenaries. Oh, they don't have any keynote lectures? No. Okay. No. So they're going to have an opening ceremony that um, certainly can six, sit, sit six or 700 people. Okay. The banquet uh, will not because it'll be in banquet style. So that'll sit 440. Okay. And then the closing ceremony will go back to theater. Mm. So it isn't really dependent on that. But overall, we can probably fit probably 700 people. Okay. So that's the idea in terms that's going to be the, the big conference this year if it gets If it gets to that. There. Right. Right. We'll see. I mean, yeehaw if it does. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I I have good a good feeling about it. If Norwalk is already sold out a month before it even happens, mm -hmm. ESAR is the next like overflow of other big conference that's happening mm -hmm. this year. It's at a huge hotel. Um, Norwalk's going to have an amazing bookstore, as it always is, and that's one of the advantages mm -hmm. of going to an in-person conference. And oh, gosh, yes. ESAR is also going to have an amazing bookstore. Yes, Gregory will be doing the bookstore for both uh, Norwalk and ESAR. And that's your 
brother. Yeah. My brother Gregory. Yeah. So one of the clan, one of the family. Right. So he knows books. He's been in the book business for years. He's a book guy. And that was my first connection sort of with the Nub Indian was going to that amazing bookstore that you guys used to have in mm, Seattle where yeah. you could just had every astrology book you could every imagine. Every astrology book you could imagine. Yeah. Was stunning. Yeah, it was a beautiful. Titles we carried. Right. So that, that still lingers on now at the Northwest Astrology Conference and is the only place you can have that experience. Um, but I may have some footage and maybe I can like splice it in here of like going Sweet. to the last bookstore in 2019 at Norwalk and just seeing all the different books laid Sweet. out. Yeah. Yeah. So people may not be, you know, familiar with that experience of actually going to a physical store where you can like physically look through and flip the books before purchasing them. That but that's a thing that used to happen. It's a thing that used to happen. Yeah. It really was. Right. <laughs> Along with the, the cassette tapes and the Rolodex and everything else. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Hey. My mom had a Rolodex. Okay. I'm not knocking it. <laughs> Flip that little thing around. Right. That's way faster <clears throat> than some of the other stuff today. All right. Well, good luck with Norwalk this year. Appreciate Thank it. you for doing this. This is, while it's you know a business to some extent for you and your family, it's also organizing astrology conferences is also a community service because if you weren't doing this, then it would not happen or might not happen and certainly would not happen in the same way or with as much care and like attention to detail and community orientation as you bring to it and have brought to it over the years. So that's one thing I always want people to remember and think about that you usually don't when you're just in the audience or you're on the other side of it is what it's actually like and the amount of labor and thought and time and effort that goes into hmm. organizing astrology conferences is just like orders of magnitude higher than anybody realizes until you've been in that position and have had to do it um, on your own. It's just kind of mind-boggling. It is mind-boggling. And the, my, I'm always, I surprise myself at my capacity to compartmentalize and <clears throat> the fact that I'm running two conferences this year. Right. I've done three in a year. Oh my God. So, you know, the public health conference, Norwalk and UAC all happened in 2018. Wow. And I was running three of those things and trying to, and then and the amount of email, I, that's a whole nother conversation, Chris. Right. And, and just the amount of, um, a little bit of insanity. It is. Into, it, oh no, that's it's okay. very clear. It's, it's it's a level of insanity because you spend no like question. a year for Norwalk working on this mm -hmm. pretty consistently. That entire year going up to it, you get into it, and there's a huge amount of nerves, energy, and effort, and then you do it, and it's successful, and then you're exhausted, and then at some I'd start point again. There, the the insanity part kicks in where you're mm -hmm. like, "Am I going to do this to myself again?" Yes, I am. Yes, and the answer is always yes. <laughs> yes, yes is the answer. Right, because you have that experience each time in person of how yeah, good it is and how it important is. it is for the community and how it brings people together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I take try to take June off. Okay, and sometimes even sneak some into July before I start working on the next Norwalk that I have to have the website ready by October. Mm, okay. I mean, as long as I can get everything and get the website ready by October and registration ready to open by mm. some point in October, then I'm good. And and so just and that's already the website being live and taking tickets or selling tickets for it and everything mm -hmm. else. So from if, if you even just started then, that's from October forward to May in which you're working on this. But mm -hmm. it, it started actually months earlier. Yes, with speaker selection and everything yes. else. Right. So. so all the speaker selection, I put together one big mass list. I just put take go, go through the surveys and start adding names. Mm -hmm. 
I take a look at the speakers that came to the conference over the last three years, start pulling names from that, and then I start building my list. And and this magic kind of happens from that. It's just the universe and how it all comes together. It just it's pretty cool how the 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 faculty comes together for the conference and then how the lectures sort of organically come from out of all of that. So I like the experience. Yeah. But you're right. It there it starts. I mean, I've started work on a conference for Norwalk. I've sometimes started as early as June. But as I've moved in this business, I realized I don't have to start that soon. I can wait a little bit. I can take some time off. Mm. I can have a vacation. Sure. I can breathe and relax. And Norwalk will get done. Mm. So I hear yeah. you telling yourself. That, I am but... telling myself that. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, well, I just want people to know how much work it is and what a community thing it is because it's so important. Um, and you don't see that until you see the back end of it. But um, I'm glad we got to talk a little bit about that today and just for, for people to, to recognize and, and hopefully have some appreciation of that um, from that standpoint. I just hope that uh, those of you out in the community that do want to lecture, that you'll take the time to take in the words that Chris and I have that we've talked about, the, the the ideas, the concept, the do's and don'ts. He's been in it. I've been in it. I've been in it from both sides. Yeah. We have experience. And there is never going to be a time that my experiences and Chris's experience are going to be your experience. But there is a great wealth of our experiences that can be um, adapted and used. And why not? Right? Yeah. To be a better speaker than to uh, be operating in the dark. Right. And right. experience is such a key thing. Yeah. That's also something that can be passed on generationally. And yeah. that's something that's so important in organizing astrology conferences is like we're starting to lose some of those astrologers or, or have that were the conference organizers of yes. the previous generations. Yes. And sometimes like in instances like with you, that information is passed on from one generation to another. I'm working on it. Working on passing this information on to my children who want to be the next generation of Norwalk um, producers, promoters, coordinators, whatever you want to call them. But there's a lot of education that has to happen. Yeah, it's just you. Chris is right. You can't even imagine the level of detail and the things that one has to keep in mind and detail and organize and keep straight in order to run a conference right so many moving parts and so many things that you wouldn't even think of until you're like there and doing yep. it and suddenly you're like oh i have to deal with this yeah except like uh, hundreds of times yep exactly um, cool well thanks for thanks for touching on this in this three hour uh, discussion <laughs> where we touch on like so many different things just to give people a taste of of your your life and how you do this stuff as well as passing that on now to our audience and hopefully they can take it and run with it and give some yes, collection. I'm hoping so. Cool. I'm hoping so. Looking for that next generation. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, good luck with the conference thanks this so much. year. And uh, that's it for this episode. So thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. And we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that supported the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, thanks to the patrons on our producers tier, including Thomas Miller, Catherine Conroy, Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Sumo Kopic, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Morgan McKinsey, and Kristen Otero. 
If you like the work that I'm doing here on the podcast and you would like to find a way to support it, then please consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. And in exchange, you'll get access to bonus content such as early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the month ahead forecast each month, access to a private monthly auspicious elections report that we put out each month, access to exclusive episodes that are only available for patrons, or you can also get your name listed in the credits at the end of each episode. For more information, go to patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. The main software we use here on the podcast to look at astrological charts is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available at alabe.com, and you can use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we use a similar set of software by the same programming team called AstroGold for Mac OS, which is available from astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount on that as well. If you would like to learn more about the approach to astrology that I outline on the podcast, then you should check out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune, where I traced the origins of Western astrology and reconstructed the original system that was developed about 2,000 years ago. And in this book, I outline uh, basic concepts, but also take you into intermediate and advanced techniques for reading a birth chart, including some timing techniques. So you can find out more about the book at hellenisticastrology.com slash book. The book pairs very well with my online course on ancient astrology called the Hellenistic Astrology Course, which has over 100 hours of video lectures where I go into detail about teaching you how to read a birth chart and showing hundreds of example charts in order to really demonstrate how the techniques work in practice. So find out more information about that at theastrologyschool.com. Also, special thanks to our sponsors, including the Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is available at mountainastrologer.com, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and the Astrogold Astrology app, which is available for both iPhone and Android at astrogold.io. There are also two major astrology conferences happening this year. The first is the Northwest Astrological Conference, happening May 26th through the 30th, 2022, near Seattle, Washington. Find out more information at norwac.net. And the second is the International Society for Astrological Research Conference, which is taking place August 25th through the 29th, 2022, in Westminster, Colorado. And you can find out more information about that at isar2022.org.